الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد نعم المعقد الخامس عشر رد مشكله إلى أهله فالمعظم للعلم يعول على تهاقنته والجهابذة من أهله لحل مشكلاته ولا يعرض نفسه لما لا تطيق خوفا من, الله على خوفا من القول على الله بلا علم والافتراء على الدين فهو يخاف سخطة الرحمن قبل أن يخاف صوت السلطان فإن العلماء بعلم تكلموا وببصر وببصر نافذ سكتوا فإن تكلموا في مشكل فتكلم بكلامهم وإن سكتوا عنه فليسعك ما وسعهم ومن أشق المشكلات الفتن الواقعة والنوازل الحادثة التي تتكاثر مع امتداد الزمن والناس في هذا الباب طرفان ووسط فقوم أعرضوا عن استفتاء العلماء فيها وفزعوا إلى الأهواء والآراء يستمدونها من من هيجان من هيجان الخطباء ورقة الشعراء وتحليلات السياسيين وإرجافات المنافقين وقوم يعرضونها على العلماء لكنهم لا يرتضون قالهم ولا يرضون مقالهم فكأنهم طلبوا جوابا يوافق هوا في نفوسهم فلما لم يجدوا مالوا, مالوا عنهم والناجون من نار الفتن السالمون من وهج المحن وهم من فزع إلى فزع إلى العلماء ولزم قولهم وإن اشتبه عليه شيء من قولهم أحسن الظن بهم فطرح, قول فطرح قوله وأخذ بقولهم فالتجربة والخبرتهم كانوا أحق بها وأهلها وإذا اختلفت أقوالهم لزم قول جمهورهم وسوادهم إيثارا للسلامة فالسلامة لا يعدلها شيء وما أحسن قول ابن عاصم في مرتقى الوصول وواجب في مشكلات الفهم تحسيننا, تحسيننا الظن بأهل العلم ومن جملة المشكلات رد زالات العلماء والمقالات الباطلة باطلة لأهل البدع والمخالفين فإنما يتكلم فيها العلماء الراسخون كما بينه الشاطبي في الموافقات وابن رجب في جامع العلوم والحكم وإذا تعرضت الناشئة الدهماء للدخول في هذا الباب تولدت فتن وبلايا كما هو مشاهد في عصرنا فإنما نشأت كثير من الفتن حين تعرض للرد على زلات العلماء والمقالات المخالفة للشرعية بعض الناشئة الأغمار والجادة السالمة سالمة عرضها على العلماء الراسخين والاستمساك بقولهم فيها. The author رحمه الله he now speaks about when there occurs problems and issues occur around the world. Issues that have to do with safety and bloodshed and anarchy. The way that a student of knowledge and the Muslim should be is that they present these issues to the ulama, the people of knowledge. Those who are senior in age 
and senior in knowledge. And the Shaykh Rahimahullah, he mentioned that when it comes to these issues, the people are three types. Thalathatu aqsamin, three types. Tarafani wa wasat, two extremes and one in the middle. The first extreme group is A people who don't go back to the scholars and they don't go to the people of knowledge. But what they do is they run to their desires and their own opinions and they bring out rulings from their own whims and desires. And they listen to a khutbah here or there which was done in an emotional manner and it has in it eloquency, good speech and that's what the ruling in this issue for, for that individual is. That's one extreme. Because Allah Taala told us in the Quran وَإِذَا جَاءَهُمْ أَمْرٌ مِّنَ الْأَمْنِ أَوِ الْخَوْفِ أَذَاعُوا بِهِ وَلَوْ رَدُّوهُ إِلَى الرَّسُولِ وَإِلَى أُولِي الْأَمْرِ مِنْهُمْ لَعَلِمَهُ الَّذِينَ يَسْتَنْبِطُونَهُ مِنْهُمْ if they were to take these issues of security back to Allah and His Messenger and the people of knowledge, then they would have seen how the people of knowledge res resolve these problems and these issues. The second extreme group is They present the issue to the scholars, but they will only listen to the scholar when he is in line with what they wanted to, what they want the scholar to believe. They are the ones who have preconceived notion. They already believe something. There's something in their heads. And they look for the scholar that will agree with that. And so they will go through one after the other and the other and the other. And then they will finally come to one and they'll say, Naam, Allahumma barik. This scholar knows. He's equipped with the waqa that we're living in. And so he only takes that one. But he didn't take that imam's statement. He took it because, because it goes with his desires. They believe first and then they look for the evidence. And they look for who agrees with them. So they have a belief first. What they should have done was, they should have found the evidences first and then they should have believed. And the third group are the honorable ones. They're the ones who stay, off, stay away from these issues of trials and tribulations. They don't give their verdicts and they don't speak about it. And they say, Let's look at what the overwhelming majority of scholars say in this issue. And they stick with that. Safety is in that. So even if the scholars within themselves differ in that issue, they take the call of the jumhur, the overwhelming majority. Okay? We're going to speak about this in more details, inshallah, in al-waraqat. But if the scholars differ in an issue, you asked one alim, he said something. And then another alim gave another different verdict. And then both of them are reliable and they're great scholars. Then take the opinion of a third one. And then if the third one supports one of the two, then take the one that has two of their opinions. Two of their opinions. Because safety, inshallah ta'ala, is with that extra number. And then leave it to Allah ta'ala after that. This is what's needed from you to save your religion. Don't speak about these issues don't indulge into these issues they are the people of knowledge to speak about it and from the issues like this is refuting and speaking about whose knowledge should be taken and who should be a reference point these are not for the 
students of knowledge, little kids. It's not for us. I myself included. It's not for us. It's for the ulama and the people of knowledge. It's taken back to them and their statements is brought forward and what they said regarding it. And they're the ones who say this is wrong. Because the ulama, they won't make something bigger than what it really is. Okay? Scholars will keep everything in its robe. If it needs to be exacerbated, they will do it. And if it needs to be kept and restricted in this, they will do it. Because they know how to deal with the text. And wallahi, if this was to be followed, a lot of safety and a lot of good would have come out from it. Now. المعقد السادس عشر توقير مجالس العلم وإجلال وإجلال أوعيته فمجالس العلماء كمجالس الأنبياء قال سهل بن عبد الله من أراد أن ينظر إلى مجالس الأنبياء فلينظر إلى مجالس العلماء يجيء الرجل فيقول يا فلان أي شيء تقول في رجل حلف على امرأته كذا وكذا فيقول طلقت امرأته ويجيء آخر فيقول ما تقول في رجل, رجل حلف على امرأته بكذا وكذا فيقول ليس يحنث بهذا القول وليس هذا إلا لنبي أو لعالم فاعرفوا لهم ذلك وقال المالك بن أنس إن مجالس العلماء تحتضن بالخشوع والسكينة والوقار وقد كان مالك إذا أراد أن يحدث توضأ وجلس على صدر فراشه وسرح لحيته وسرح لحيته وسرح لحيته وتمكن من جلوسه بوقار وهيبة ثم حدث وكان عبد الرحمن بن مهدي لا يتحدث في مجلسه ولا ولا يبرى فيه قلم ولا يتبسم فيه أحد وكان وقيع بن بن الجراح في مجلسه كأنهم في صلاة فعلى طالب العلم أن يعرف لمجلسه العلم حقها فيجلس فيه جلسة جلسة الأدب ويصغى إلي إلى الشيخ ناظرا إليه فلا يلتفت فلا يلتفت فلا يلتفت عنه غير من غير مع من غير ضرورة ولا يضطرب لضجة يسمع يسمعها ولا يحبث بيد بيديه أو رجليه ولا يستنذ بحضرة شيخه ولا يتكئ على يده ولا يكثر التنحنح والحركة ولا يتكلم مع جاره وإذا عطس خفض صوته وإذا وإذا تثاءب ستر فمه بعد رد بعد رده جهده بعد رده جهده بعد رد بعد رده جهده وينضم إلى توقير مجالس العلم إجلال إجلال أوعيته الأوعيته التي يحفظ فيها وعمادها الكتب فاللائق بطلب العلم صون كتابه وحفظه وإجاله والاعتناء به وإجلاله والاعتناء به فلا يجعله صندوقا يحشوه بودائعه ولا يجعله بوقا وإذا وضعه وإذا وضعه وضعه بلطف وعناية رمى إسحاق إسحاق بن راهوي يوما بكتاب كان في يده 
فرآه فرآه أبو عبد الله أحمد بن حنبل فغضب وقال أهكذا يفعل بكلام الأبرار ولا يتكئ على على الكتاب أو يضعه عند عند قدميه وإذا كان يقرأ فيه على شيخ رفعه عن الأرض وحمله بيده. The author رحمه الله هي he speaks about توقير توقير مجالس العلم وإجلال أوعيته. Two things respecting the the halakat and the circles of knowledge and the place that you're learning. To what? To respect it and venerate it and glorify it. And the second thing is to respect the places where the knowledge is kept. The Shaykh Rahimahullah he brought the statement of Shaykh uh, he brought the statement of Sahar ibn Abdullah to study. Sahar ibn Abdullah said Man Arad an Yandura Majalis al Anbiya Anyone who wants to look at the gatherings of the prophets, look at the gatherings of the scholars. If you want to know how the gatherings of the prophet is, look at the gatherings of the people of knowledge. Because the gatherings of the prophet is what? Ilm and an amal salih. And the gatherings of the ulama is what? Al ilmu nafi' wal amal salih. It's the same thing. The Shaykh Rahimahullah also brought the statement, statement of Malik ibn Anasin. What Imam Malik said, The gatherings of the ilm, the circles of knowledge, you sit there with humility, khushu' like you pray, like you're praying. Tranquility. You don't move too much. You don't turn around. You don't jump. You're calm and you're collective. You sit there without much movements. And Imam Malik, Imam Malik, if he wanted to do, if he wanted to do a narration, or if he wanted to narrate a particular hadith, Imam Malik would go and do wudu, and he would sit on somewhere high, and he would comb his bed, and he would sit properly, and make sure he's sitting in a way that's comfortable, because he's going to be sitting like this for a long time, he's not going to be moving. And thumma hadatha, and then he then narrates the hadith. This is all out of what respecting the statement of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. Abdul Rahman ibn Mahdi, in his halaqa, la yutahadathu fi majlisi. No student can talk in his gathering. No one can whisper in the gather of the gathering of Imam uh, Abdul Rahman ibn Mahdi. Wala yubrafi qalamun. No one's allowed to sharpen their pencil uh, in the gathering of Abdul Rahman ibn Mahdi. ولا يتبسم في أحد. No one can smile in the gathering of عبد الرحمن بن مهدي. Seriousness, no joke. وكيعمل جراح الرؤاسي. It was said that his majlis was like أنهم في صلاة. It was like they were praying. He's the way his majlis was. So the student of knowledge, the rights that the halaqa has on you is that you sit جلسة الأدب, a well-mannered man away. You listen to the teacher. When you're listening to him, you look at him. Don't look away from the teacher. Unless there's a necessity. You take a note and then you look back. You take a note. Don't look around. Or someone walked in and you looked at that person. Don't do that. Also, don't spread your legs out to the teacher or the shaykh in the halaqa. Do not lean on something. Sit without leaning. 
Don't lean on your hand. Don't keep looking around and doing so much movements. Don't even sneeze loudly. If you sneeze, hold it. Try to trap it. And if you yawn, then take a cloth or something and put it on your mouth whilst you're trying to what? You're trying to hold your mouth together. Don't make it a yawning that everyone can hear you. These are all not necessarily only for the shaykh. But the reason why you're doing this is what? Is the beginning statement. Is man arada an yanzura ila majalisul anbiya. You're looking at these gatherings as majalisul anbiya. Like what you're taking here and you're taking in is the inheritance of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa What the prophet left behind is what's been given to you. Do you honor what the prophet sallallahu alayhi gave? If you do, then honor the place where it's been given out in. You respect it. وَلِذَلِكَ Also from the ways of honoring knowledge is that you honor where it's in. You do not throw the book on the floor or walk over it. Or even what we tend to sometimes do is, and a lot of people do this, they take their saliva and they turn over the mushaf. And this is a form of disrespect. Because your saliva, if someone took their saliva and put it on your cheek, would you like that? No, you wouldn't. Say, don't touch it. But the speech of Allah, you will touch it with your saliva. And then all of these things are honoring and respecting the knowledge, starting with the Quran. I remember one time I was in India. So I got tired and I slept in the masjid. My legs were facing the qibla because I was very tired. And a man came, he hit me, I woke up and he said, Tuck your legs in. I said, Sorry. I tucked my legs in. Another brother came and he said, Is there any evidences? Uh, what's the delil that you can't face towards the what? Your legs towards the qibla. I said, brother, it's not. It's an issue of what? It's an issue of adab, akhlaq, manners. Are we all together, brothers? It's a ihtaram that you need to come with. Especially if you're a student of knowledge. A person who's holding Islamic knowledge, these are things you'll take on board. So you thank the person who told you and you make sure you don't do that. Because in areas and places, people look at that in different ways. Okay? Ishaq ibn Rahuya, Ishaq ibn Rahawiya, both ways it said. He was the friend of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. And Ishaq ibn Rahuya, he threw uh, a book, a book of his. He wrote things in there, hadith, and he threw it. And Ahmad ibn Hanbal became angry, very angry at Imam Muhammad. Is that how you're going to treat the statements of the great noble imams? The statements of Imam Abu Hanifa, the statement of Imam Malik, statements of A'imma Kibar. Are you going to treat their statements like that? Their words? Is that how you want to treat them? You're with me, brothers. So, no, we don't. Ahmed's getting angry by someone throwing a book that has the statements of ulama. Then, what would you think he would say if he saw the way that some people walk over? the hadiths of the Prophet, or even the Qur'an. Very dangerous. Naam. Al-Ma'qid al-Sabi'ashar Al-Zabbu an al-Ilmi wal-Zawdu an-Hiyadih Inna lil-Ilmi hurmatun wa ifratan tujibu al-Intisar tujibu al-Intisar lahu idha tu'urrida li-janabihi bima la yasluh وقد ظهر هذا الانتصار عند أهل العلم في مظاهر منها الرد على المخالف, على المخالف فمن, فمن استبانت 
مخالفته للشريعة رد عليه كائنا من كان حمية للدين ونصيحة للمسلمين ولم يزال ولم يزل الناس يرد بعضهم على بعض قاله الإمام أحمد لكن المرشح مرشح لذلك منهم العلماء للدهماء مع لزوم الأدب وترك الجور والظلم ومنها هجر المبتدع ذكره أبو يعلى الفراء إجماعا فلا يؤخذ العلم عن أهل البدع لكن إذا اضطر إليه فلا بأس كما في الرواية الرواية عنهم لدى المحدثين وفي ذلك يقول شيخ الإسلام ابن تيمية الحفيد مقرراً أصلاً كبيراً تعظم الحاجة إليه في أزمنة الجاهلية والفتن فإذا تعذر إقامة الواجبات من العلم والجهاد وغير ذلك إلا بمن فيه بدعة مضرتها مضرتها دون مضرة ذلك الواجب كان تحصيل كان تحصيل مصلح مصلحة مصلحة كان تحصيل مصلحة مصلحة الواجب مع مفسدة مرجوحة خيرا من العكس ومنها زجر المتعلم إذا تعدى في فيه بحثه أو ظهر منه لدى ومنها زجر المتعلم إذا تعدى في بحثه في بحثه أو ظهر منه لدد 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 أو سوء أدب كان عبد الرحمن بن مهدي إن تحدث أحد في مجلسه أو بري أو أو بري قلم صاح ولبس نعليه ودخل وكان وكيع إذا أنكر من أمر جلسائه شيء إن تعل ودخل وشهود هذا وشهود هذا وشهد وشهود وشهود وشهد هذا وشوهد هذا مرارا من من شيخ شيوخنا محمد بن ابراهيم ال الشيخ فكم مره فكم مره رؤي منصرقا لما سمع طالبا يتشدق في في مقاله فاخذ نعليه وانصرف وحضر شاب مجلس وحضر شاب مجلس سفيان الثوري فجعل يتراس ويتكلم ويتكبر ويتكبر بالعلم فغضب سفيان وقال لم يكن السلف هكذا لم يكن السلف هكذا كان احدهم لا يدعي لا يدعي الامامه ولا يجلس في الصدر حتى يطلب هذا العلم ثلاثين سنه وانت تتكبر وانت تتكبر على من هو اسن منك قم عني ولا اراك ولا ولا اراك تدنو من مجلسي، وكان يقول اذا رايت الشاب يتكلم عند المشايخ وان كان قد بلغ من العلم مبلغا فآيس من خيره فانه قليل الحياء. وان احتاج المعلم الى الى اخراج المعلم من من مجلسه زجرا له فليفعل. كما فعل سفيان وكما كان يفعله شعبة مع عفان بن عفان بن مسلم مسلم في درسه وقد وقد يزجر المتعلم وقد وقد يزجر المتعلم بعدم بعدم الإقبال عليه وترك الإجابة وترك إجابته فالسكوت جواب قاله قاله الأعمش ورأينا هذا كثيرا من جماعة من جماعة من الشيوخ منهم العلامة بن باز 
فربما سأله سائل عما لا ينفعه فترك الشيخ إجابته وأمر القارئ والأمر القارئ أن يواصل قراءته أو أو أجابه بخلاف قصده. The Sheikh رحمه الله speaks about الذب عن العلم to defend the honor of knowledge. Knowledge requires defending. And from the ways that knowledge is defended is that the one who opposes that which is from the religion is responded to and he's, re- he's debunked. The Shaykh said, If anyone's mistake becomes clear and it's clear that he done a mistake, is responded to him. It doesn't matter who this individual is. For two reasons. The first reason is to protect the knowledge. The second reason is to save the Muslims. Those are the two reasons why there has to come a response. Remember, if there is no response to the mistake of this individual, our religion will change and it will evolve just like the religion of the Christians changed. Christianity has become the way it's now become. And sometimes if you live in countries like where I'm from, the UK, you will see that they go, they go into the church and they leave the church and they're dancing and they're singing. And that's all their religion has now become. It only happened in that way and it only became this when their rabbis and their monks did not in any way, shape or form respond and did not debunk their mistakes. And then it did not bring them to their guidance. And so when they got watched in what they were doing, this is now what their religion turned into. And so the religion needs to be protected. So nobody can come and just add what he wants into the religion and then someone comes and he takes out of the religion what he wants. The religion requires the protection. So it stays pure. So the new generations to come, they know what the deen is like. Okay? They said, knowledge used to be a dot. The ignorant people made it so many dots. At the time of Abu Bakr, there's only one opinion. Because only this, what the Prophet said. But then after that, opinions came and views came and it became 20 views. And now we're 100 views. And then they're going to come, it's going to be 200 views. And it becomes harder and harder for those to come. So there has to be a group of people who always trying to bring, who try to bring what? Try to bring everything in its right manner and everything at its original form. So Islam and the religion stays clean. Also, this is a way to save the people from falling into destruction. Because if the one who knows just watches the people and he just stays silent, then the people will believe that his silence is an affirmation for that particular mistake. And the scholars, they used to respond to each other. And some of them never even used to take it personal. And if we look at a contemporary issue now, our era, we were living in, a person who was like that with each other was Sheikh Albani rahimahullah. Sheikh Albani rahimahullah used to refute another Sheikh by the name of Sheikh Hamoud ibn Abdullah Tawajiri. Sheikh Hamoud ibn Abdullah Tawajiri and Sheikh Al-Albani, they refuted each other on many issues. One of the, some of the issues they refuted each other on greatly was the issue of niqab. Is it wajib or is it not? Sheikh Al-Albani was of the opinion that it's not wajib. And Hamoud ibn Abdullah Tawajiri was of the opinion that the niqab is wajib. And they went back and forth in refuting each other. Him and Sheikh Al-Albani went back and forth on the issue of placing your hand on your shoulder, uh, so on your, on your chest, after the ruku' and going on your knees first in the ruku' after, after the uh, sujood, 
uh, after the ruku' should you go down on your knees first or your hands first Sheikh Albani's view is well known he's of the opinion that the hands go down first before the knees and that when you get up from your ruku' Sheikh Albani believed this was bid'atun baziyah bid'ah of Ibn Baz Albani called it when it's not a bid'ah it was, it's an opinion held by Imam Ahmad like in the point is this never got between them Rather, I was told by Sheikh Abdul Aziz Sadhan, he told me that Sheikh Al-Albani, when he would come to Riyadh, he would not go to anyone else's house except the house of who? A Sheikh Hamoud ibn Abdullahi Tawajiri. Because of their relationship. They were very close. But if everyone went back to his land, they would carry on from their authorship and what they were writing and responding to each other and what they thought was right. Diyanatan. They were getting closer to Allah by their opinion and what they believe is to be the truth. And subhanAllah, when you reach Albani's refutation on Hamoud ibn Abdullah Tawijri, it's not soft. He refers to him as a man who doesn't know knowledge. He doesn't possess knowledge. Hamoud ibn Abdullah Tawijri says the same about Sheikh Albani. It's not a soft refutation. So you'd never think in your right mind that they would meet and that they would sit with each other. And then when I, Sheikh Abdul Aziz Sadhan told me, I could not believe it. These alfaz and these wordings, and they will still sit with each other? Yes, they would. Because it was an aqidah issue, it was fiqh issues that they differed on. So they both believed that they have to protect the religion. And that is, takes more, more of a precedence over our, individual, our, our character and who we are. And Imam Muhammad rahimahullah ta'ala was like that. And Imam Muhammad refuted his own teacher, and Imam Shafi'i in issues. Shafi'i refuted his own teacher, and Imam Malik in issues. And Imam Malik refuted Imam Abu Hanifa in issues. It was always, all of that was... Also, one of the ways to protect the religion is the innovator, the one who wants to add to the religion. He's boycotted and he stayed away from. Abu Ya'la al-Farra, he brought a consensus. It's not a difference of opinion that the mubtadi' needs to be boycotted. It's not a different upon issue. And Abu Ya'la al-Farra is not the only one who transmitted an ijma'. Shaykh al-Islam Taymiyyah brought an ijma' as well. And Imam al-Baghwi in Shaykh al-Sunnah, he brought an ijma' as well. Karmani brought an ijma'. Um, Ajur in Kitab al-Shari'ah brought an ijma'. Uh, Abu, Abu Ubaid Qasim al-Salam brought an ijma'. Ijma' that the innovator who's innovating in the religion, he needs to be boycotted. And he should be left. Knowledge should not be taken from him. Because he's going to mix up everything from you. He's going to mix your religion. Why is he abandoned and why is he left? The religion should be protected. But the Shaykh said, If there's a necessity, there's no way he's the only one who has this knowledge. It becomes a darura, then it becomes permissible, just like alcohol becomes permissible at a time of what? Necessity. When a darura comes, it becomes permissible. But the permissibility here doesn't mean that it's generally permissible. Generally, it's not permissible. But right at this moment, it became a necessity. Who determines whether it's a necessity or not? Ahlul Ilm. And the Shaykh then brought the statement of Ibn Taymiyyah, where he mentioned that it's permissible to take from the innovator if there is a necessity. Um, the Shaykh, rahimahullah, also spoke about how some of the scholars were, when it came to the way that they used to defend and protect the religion, if someone was silly in their gatherings and they were not acting accordingly, they would get very angry. And then sometimes they would even leave. Abdurrahman ibn Mahdi, if someone spoke in his gathering and he saw someone whisper in his class, talking, 
Or he saw someone playing with something, their pen, or sharpening their pen. What would he do? Saha. He would scream at the person. He would wear his shoes. And he would enter his house. And he would leave this place. And he said, I can't teach these people. ibn He was a person... If he saw from the gathering something he didn't like, in ta'ala wa he would wear his shoes and he would leave. Shaykh Ibn Baz, Ibn Baz teacher, and he was the mufti, the first mufti of Saudi Arabia. Shaykh Muhammad ibn Ibrahim al Shaykh was like that as well. Many times he was seen getting up and leaving a halaqa, walking away and saying, I'm not going to teach these people ever again. He was seen. Um, Sufyan al-Thawriyu one day saw a youth a young boy a young boy and this young boy was trying to pretend to be like the leader of the halaqa yataras pushing himself forward he saw him Sufyan al-Thawriyu saw him ويتكلم. this man was speaking ويتكبر. he was being arrogant my opinion is I believe he was saying anything فغضب Sufyan Sufyan became very angry وقال, he then said لم يكن السلف هكذا the Salaf were never like this. Lam yakuni Salafu hakada. The Salaf were never like this. Lam yakuni Salafu hakada. The Salaf was not like this. Kan ahadum la yadda'u al-imama. One of them never used to claim that he's an imam. None of them would ever say, I am an imam. Wala yajlisu fi sadrin. And he would never put himself forward. Hatta yatluba hadha al-ilma 30 sana. Unless he sought this knowledge for 30 years. Wa anta tatakabbar. And now here you are arrogant. Over who? Ala man hu asannu mink. Those who are older than you in age. And those who are more knowledgeable than you, get up, get up from a halaqa, get away. He said to him, no, I don't want to ever see you getting close in my halaqa. Sufyan said something very powerful. He said, If you see a young man, he's with the ulama and he's with the people of knowledge and they're older than him in age. If you ever see a young man in the gathering of senior people in age and knowledge, He's talking. He's throwing his opinions in there. And he's speaking. And, but even if he reached a high level of knowledge, and he's really knowledgeable, give up on this individual. If you ever see that, give up from any khair coming from him. He has no shyness. You have one mouth and two ears. How is it possible that the one mouth is doing more work than the two ears? You should be listening more and internalizing more. You're with people who are not only going to teach you knowledge, but they're also going to teach you life experiences. Okay? So the Sheikh then said, If the teacher he needs to kick out of a student from a halaqa, then he can do that. Naam. Fala <laughs> 
فيكون فيكون قصده من السؤال التفقه والتعلم لا التعنت والتهكم فإن 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 من ساء قصده في سؤاله يحرم بركة بركة العلم ويمنع منفعته منفعته وفي الناس من يسأل وله في سؤاله قصد باطن ويريد يريد يريد التوصل به إلى مقصود له فإذا غفل عنه المفتي وأفتاه بما يريد فرح به وأشع وأشاعه وإذا تنبه, وإذا تنبه إلى قصده حال بينه وبين مراده وزجره عن غيه قال القرافي في كتابه الإحكام سئلت مرة عن عقد النكاح بالقاهرة هل يجوز أم لا فارتبت وقلت له أي للسائل ما أفتيك حتى تبين, حتى تبين لي ما المقصود بهذا الكلام وإن فإن كل فإن كل أحد يعلم أن عقد عن عقد النكاح بالقاهرة جاهز فلم فلم أزل به حتى قال إني إن إن أردنا أن نعقد أن نعقده خارج القاهرة فمن فمنعنا لأن لأنه استحلال يعني نكاح نكاح تحليل وهو وهو نوع من الأنكحة المحرمة فجئنا للقاهرة فقلت له لا لا يجوز بالقاهرة ولا بغيرها ووقع مثل هذا لأبي العباس بن تيمية الحفيد في فتوى في فتوى تتعلق تتعلق بأهل الذمة ذكرها تلميذه البار بار بن القيم في كتابه إعلام الموقعين ردت عليه غير مرة في وجه غير الوجه السابق سابق لها فكان يقول لا يجوز حتى قال في آخر مرة هي المسألة المعينة وإن خرجت في عدة قوالب أما الأصل الثاني فالطف فالتفطن, فالتفطن إلى ما يسأل عنه فلا تسأل عما لا ينفع فيه وإما بالنظر إلى حالك أو بالنظر إلى مسألة نفسها سأل رجل أحمد بن حمل عن يأجوج, عن يأجوج ومأجوج مسلمونهم فقال له أحكمت العلم حتى تسأل عن ذا ومثله السؤال عما لم يقع أو لا, أو ما لا, أو ما لا يحد يحدث به كل أحد وإنها يخص بقوم دون قوم أما الأصل الثالث فالانتباه إلى الصلاحية حال الشيخ للإجابة عن سؤاله فلا يسأله في حال تمنعه ككونه مهموما أو متفكرا أو ماشيا في طريق أو راكبا سيارته, سيارته بل بل يتحيل طيب نفسه قال قتادة سألت أبا سألت أبا الطفيل مسألة فقال إن لكل مقام مقالا وسأل رجل, وسأل رجل ابن المبارك عن حديث وهو, وهو يمشي فقال ليس هذا من توقير العلم وكان عبد الرحمن بن أبي ليلى ليل يكره أن يسأل وهو يمشي أما الأصل الرابع فتيقظ السائل إلى كيفية سؤاله بإخراجه في صورة حسنة متأدبة فيقدم الدعاء للشيخ 
ويبجله في في خطابه ولا تكون مخاطبته له كمخاطبته أهل السوق وإخلاط العوام قال جعفر بن عثمان كنا عند يحيى بن معين فجاء رجل مستعجل فقال يا أبا زكريا حدثني بشيء أذكرك به فقال يحيى أذكرني أنك سألتني أن أحدثك فلم أفعل أن أحدثك أن أحدثك فلم أفعل وإذا تأملت وإذا تأملت سؤال وإذا تأملت سؤالات سؤالات الواردة واردة فعلى أهل العلم اليوم رأيت في كثير منها سلب 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 التحفظ وسفساف الأدب فترى من فترى من يسأل متهكما أو يسأل محتقرا ويسألون عما لا لم يقع أو ما وقع أو ما وقع لا ولا ينفع ولا يتخيرون وقت الوقت وقت الإيراد المناسب ولا ولا يتلطفون في عرض عرض المطالب فسؤالت فسؤالتهم مفاتيح الفتن وأسباب المحن وويل وهم مما يصنعون وما وما أحوج هؤلاء إلا مقالة زيد زيد بن أسلم لما سأله رجل عن شيء فخلط عليه فقال فقال زيد اذهب فتعلم كيف تسأل ثم تعال فسل وكم هم المحتاجون اليوم إلى مثل مقالة زيد بن أسلم الشيخ رحمه الله هي يسبيكس about التحفظ في مسألة العالمين how you should how you should ask a question to a shaykh if you want to ask a question to the shaykh there are four things you need to do write this down Four things that you must do in order to ask a question. The first one is Think of why are you asking this question? Why are you asking this question? What is making you ask this question? If your intent in asking the question is evil, then remember the barakah of knowing this issue will not be there. And you'll never benefit from it. So ask yourself, why am I asking this question? Have a good intention. Number two. The second one is. Ask that which will benefit you. Don't ask something that has no benefit in it. Ponder over the question that you're placing. Ahmed ibn Hanbal was asked about Yajuj wa Majuj. And then he said to the man, somebody came up to him, he said, he said, Ayajuj wa Majuj muslimuna? Ayajuj and Majuj muslims? And Ahmed ibn Hanbal said to the man, have you finished all knowledge to want to just know about Yajuj wa Majuj instead of muslims? Like you finished all of the books of Tahara and Salah and Zakah and Sawm and Hajj. And the chapter of Mu'amal, you finish all of that. You now need, to, the only thing that's left for you is you want to know if you are Jujah or Majujah Muslims. What benefit do you get? Another man said to a sheikh once, is Iblis married? Did he get married? Did he have a wife? The sheikh said, I wasn't invited at that wedding. 
No one invited me at the wedding. It's questions that you tend to find people just ask. Ashabul Kafi, what kind of dog did they have? Was it a German Shepherd? Was it a Chihuahua? What kind of dog did they have? What benefit did, does your Iman increase if you find out what dog they have? Are we all together, brothers? You, the whole entire Qissa Ashabul Kafi, you couldn't find Iman increase. And the benefits in this story, all you, you felt like I need to know is that the dog that was with them, what is this dog? And you find that a lot. You find what? You find it a lot. People tend to ask this. Questions that don't benefit you. It won't benefit you, you. You don't need to know these things. And many Muslims do that on many different issues. Muslims that talk about political issues on a high level, you are lacking basic knowledge on tahara and salah. You see, brothers, your salah is so invalid. Uh, one of the Hudayfat ibn al-Yaman entered a masjid, he saw a man praying the salah, and he said to the man, For how long have you been praying like this? He said, Mundu arba'ina sana, 40 years. Hudayfat said, Mundu arba'ina sana, ma kunta tusalli salah. For 40 years you weren't praying a prayer. Ah. 40 years, this is no salah. Ah. So if you look at many people today, it's like that. Learn the salah, learn the zakat that's upon you, that's wajib upon you. Learn the ahkam al-hajj that you need. Learn the ahkam related to talaq and khula and zawaj, that which you're in. Learn the ahkam al-buyu' the buying and the selling and the investments that you're doing. This is what it's important for you. Are you with me, brothers? Speaking about big issues, about these issues, leave it off. Leave it. Leave it off. Don't busy yourself with this. The third, brothers, is... Um, Thing that you need to look at when you're asking a question is Look at the situation of the shaykh How is the shaykh? Is he tired? Is he yawning? Did he have a, a long day where he was teaching? Look at the, the, the situation of the shaykh Can he take more questions? Is he tired? Is he fatigued? You have to look at this Shaykh Al-Alama Muhammad ibn Salah Uthaymin was one person He used to have the questions put to him Okay? And they would ask him the questions, ask, ask, ask. He was, every class when he finished, the last portion of his class were Q&A sessions. People can ask him. Once the microphone was switched off, Sheikh Ibn Uthaymin will walk out, he will not answer anyone's question. Because he's tired. He did it. Ask your question then. Or wait tomorrow. You need to ponder on this situation. So I remember, subhanAllah, some brothers, they saw one of the shuyukhs uh, with his wife, and they ran at him. And they want to ask him questions. This is not looking at the situation of the shaykh. The shaykh is with his family. Leave him alone. Ask him another time. This is su'ul adab. Su'ul akhlaq. Are you with me, brothers? Things like that. A student of knowledge, a person who's studying the religion, looks at the situation of things. Number four and last one is, تَيَقُّذُ السَّائِلِ إِلَى كَيْفِيَةِ السُؤَالِ Look at how you ask the question. How are you going to ask the question? In what way are you going to present the question? The way you're going to present the question. You have to look at this. Very important. Some people, they just, they just throw the question the way that they want without pondering on how they're going to ask the question. And the Sheikh mentioned the way that you ask the question is first of all, so you You start with a dua for the Sheikh. You say, Sheikh, may Allah protect you and honor you. May Allah reward you for the hard work that you're doing and the good that you're exerting for this ummah. You make dua for the Sheikh. And you then pray, pray, you put the question to the uh, shaykh. 
And the way that you then talk to the Shaykh is not Shaykh, check this out. Shaykh, check this question out. Some people ask that question like that. Shaykh, check this question out. The way that they speak is Ahlul Suq. The way they speak to the people, their friends, they put the question. Stay away from it. Stay away from talking like that. Present your question very well. Zayd ibn Aslamin radiallahu ta'ala anhu a man asked a question and he asked the question in a very filthy way. And then he said to him, Idhab, go, 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 go. You go. Go and learn how to ask a question. And then come back to me and ask me the question. First, ah, you are in great need of knowing, to, knowing how to ask questions. And then, inshallah ta'ala, ask the question. Naam. We'll carry on after salah. شغف القلب بالعلم وغلبته عليه فصدق الطلب له يوجب له يوجب محبته وتعلق وتعلق القلب به ولا ينال العبد درجة العلم حتى تكون لذته لذته الكبرى فيه قال ابن القيم في في مفتاح دار في مفتاح دار السعادة ومن لم ومن لم يغل ومن لم يغلب لذة إدراكه وشهوته على على لذته على لذة جسمه وشهوة نفسه لم ينل لم ينل لم ينل درجة العلم أبدا وإنها وإنما تنال لذة العلم بثلاثة أمور ذكرها عبد أبو عبد الله بن القيم في كتابه السالف أحدها بذل الوس بذل الوسع والجهل وثاني وثانيها صدق الطلب وثالثها صحة النية والإخلاص ولا تتم هذه ولا تتم هذه الأمور الثلاثة إلا مع دفع كل ما ما يشغل عن القلب ومن سبر هذه اللذة في أحوال السابقين من من علماء الأمة رأى عجبا فلسان أحدهم ما لذت ما لذتي إلا راويه مسن إلا راوية إلا رواية مسند قد قد قيدت بفصال بفصاحة الألفاظ ومجالس ومجالس فيها تحتحل سكينة ومذاكرات ومذاكرات معاشر الحفاظ إن لذة العلم فوق لذة السلطان والحكم التي تتت تتطلع تتطلع إليها إليها نفوس كثيرة وتبذل لأجلها وتبذل لأجلها أموال وفيرة وتسفق دماء وتسفق دماء عزيرة بات أبو جعفر النفس وبات أبو جعفر النسفي مهموما من ضيق البال وسوء الحال وكثرة العيال فوقع في خاطرة فوقع في خاطره فرع من فروع مذهب مذهب مذهبه وكان حنفيا فأعجب به فقام يرقص في داره ويقول أين الملوك وأبناء الملوك أين الملوك وأبناء الملوك إذا خاض في بحر التفكر خاطري خاطري على در على درة من من معضلات المطلب مطالب حقرت مك حقرت ملوك الأرض في نيل ما حواو ونل ونلت 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 المنى بالكتاب بألا بالكتائب ولهذا كانت الملوك تتوق إلى 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 لذة العلم وتحس 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 فقدها وتطلب تحصيلها 
قيل لأبي جعفر جعفر المنصور الخليفة العباس المشهور الذي كانت ممالكه تملأ الشرق وأشرق والغرب هل بقي من لذات الدنيا شيء لم تناله فقال هو لم تنله فقال هو فقال وهو مستو على كرسيه وسرير وسرير ملكه بقي بقي بقيت بقيت خصلة أن أقع أن أقعد على على مصطبة حولي حولي أصحاب الحديث أي طل أي طلاب العلم فيقول المستملي من من ذكرت من ذكرت رحمك الله يعني فيقول حدثنا فلان فلان قال حدثنا فلان ويسوق الأحاديث المسندة فانظر إلى شدة افتقار إلى شدة افتقار هذا الخليفة خليفة إلى لذة العلم وطلب وطلبه تحصيلها وجوعته إليها ومتى ومتى عمر 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 القلب بلذة العلم وسقطت سقطت لذات العادات وذهلت وذهلت النفس عنها فالنضر فالنضر بن شميل يقول لا فالنضر بن شميل شميل يقول لا يجد المرء لذة لذة العلم حتى حتى يجوع وينسى جوعه بل تستحيل الآلام الآلام لذة لذة بهذا بل تستحيل الآلام الآلام لذة بهذا اللذة بهذه بهذه اللذة ومحمد بن هارون الدمشقي يقول لمحبرة تجالسني نهاري لمحبرة تجالسني تجالسني نهاري أحب إلي من من أنس من أنس الصديق صديقي ورزمة ورزمة كغد كغد في البيت عندي أحب إلي من عدل الدقيق ولطمة ولطمة عالم في في الخد مني ألذ لدي من شرب من شرب الرحيق ولا تعجب فما هذه الاحوال الاحوال الا مس الا مس عشق العلم الا مس عشق العلم فابن القيم يقول في روضه المحب محب محبين واما عشاق العلم فاعظم فاعظم شغفا به وعشقا له من كل عاشق بمعشوقه وكثير منهم لا يشغله لا يشغله عنه اجمل صوره من 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 البشر فاين فاين هذا الشغف يا طلاب العلم ممن يقدم ممن يقدم حظه من عرسه على حذ على حذ من درسه ويكون جلوسه ويكون جلوسه الى الى السمار وشيوخ وشيوخ القمراء احب اليه من الجلوس الى العلماء وتقوى وتقوى عزيمته للتنقل في الفلوات ولا تقوى على السير على السير في نقل المعلومات وينهض وينهض نشيطا لقنص لقنص الطير ويركض ويركض كسلا عن صيد الخير فما حظ هؤلاء وكثير وكثير هم ما حظهم من تعظيم من من تعظيم العلم وقلوبهم مأسورة مأسورة بمحبه بمحبة بمحبة غيره 
The Sheikh Rahimahullah here, he speaks about having excessive passion for knowledge, loving knowledge, having excessive passion for it. And the Sheikh Rahimahullah, he brought the statement of Al-Allamah Ibn Al-Qayyim Rahimahullah. Ibn Al-Qayyim said, وَمَنْ لَمْ يُغَلِّبْ لَذَّةَ إِدْرَاكِ وَشَهْوَةِ عَلَى لَذَّةِ جَسْمِهِ وَشَهْوَةِ نَفْسِهِ لَمْ يَنَلْ دَرَجَةَ الْعِلْمِ أَبَدًا If your passion for knowledge and your hunger for knowledge does not exceed your care for your body, you will not gain knowledge. Your passion for knowledge and your passion for gaining knowledge should surpass your body. And the scholars, they used to say, may Allah have mercy upon a person whose passion for knowledge is excessive. May Allah have mercy upon their body because he can't keep up with this person. He'll be dragging his body through the heat. He'll be dragging his body through hardship and harm because of his aspiration. Now the question here is, how can a person attain the aspiration of knowledge? How can you attain it? Write it down. Ibn al-Qayyim said three things. If you do three things, you will gain the passion of knowledge. And the love for knowledge, it will come. Number one is, Badlul wus'i wal jahdi. Exert effort and hard work. Exert effort. The second is, Sidqu talabi. Do it without associating partners with it. Seek knowledge without preoccupying yourself with other things. And the third one is, والإخلاص, Do it with sincerity. Do it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Once you come with these three, you will gain ilmi, the passion for knowledge. The early scholars, if you look at their life, you tend to find their passion for knowledge was excessive. Abu Ja'far al-Nasafi, it was said that he had ضِيقُ mal. he didn't have much wealth. Wasu'il hal his situation was very bad. وَكَثْرَةِ الْعِيَالِ He had many children. فَوَقَعَ فِي خَاطِرِهِ فَرْعٌ مِنْ فُرُوعِ مَذْهَبِهِ he, a mas'ala came to his mind. Farah, little issue of fiqh came to his mind. And then he pondered over it and thought over it and it amazed him. And he stood up and he screamed out of joy and happiness. And then he said, Where are the kings? Where are the children of the kings? In what he just thought of and the benefit that just came to his mind. He kept repeating, Aynal Muluku wa Abna'ul Muluk. Where are the kings and the children of the kings? Abi Ja'far al Mansur, who was Al Khalifat al Abbasi. And Abi Ja'far al Mansur said that he used to look at the cloud. And he'll look at the cloud and he'll say to the cloud, Amtiri hunaka o hunalik. Cloud, water over there or over there. Wherever you want water, the rain, where it drops on, that wealth will come to me. That's how vast his kingdom was. If, if that cloud went to another non-Muslim land, they will pay jizya. And if it goes to the Muslims, they have to pay zakat. Which goes to Baytul Al-Mal Al-Muslimin. His kingdom was that vast, vast. It wasn't just a country. Having control over the world with all the Muslim wealth. He has the entire Muslim wealth is under him. All of the Muslims, their wealth and their zakat and everything that they give is under Abi Ja'far al-Mansur. 
And it was the time of who? Al-Imam Malik rahimahullah. He then said, having reached that level, he said, مَا بَقِيَ مِنْ لَذَّاتِ الدُّنْيَا شَيْءٌ لَمْ تَنَلْهُ In this dunya, there is no joy except I touched it. I enjoyed myself. Had everything I wanted in life. But one thing I would wish I had. He said, I wish I could sit on a chair and the people of hadith can come around me and they can take their pens and their papers and then I sit there and I narrate for them and I say to them, حدثني قال أخبرني قال حديث أسانيت like Malik ibn Anas is doing like Abdul Razak ibn Hammam al-San'ani is doing like Ma'mar ibn Rashid is doing like Abdullah ibn Mubarak is doing like Al-Uza'i is doing I wish I can do what they're doing are we all together brothers? this is what's missing for me this is the joy I wish I had he said this amazement that's in that Nadr ibn Shumaylin he said لا يجد المرء لذة العلم a person will not taste the sweetness of knowledge حتى يجوع until he becomes hungry وينسى جوعه and he forgets that he was hungry you are not going to taste the sweetness of knowledge until you become hungry and you forget it because you got busy with a mas'ala or you got busy with looking at a hadith and then later you go Allah, I never ate subhanallah that's when you have tasted the sweetness of knowledge that's when you've tasted it Ibn al-Qayyim has a kitab called Rawdatul Muhibbin wa Nuzhatul Mushtaqeen. In this book, Ibn al-Qayyim talks about the concept of love. Okay? He talks about the concept of love and lust. Ibn al-Qayyim. And in that book, he mentions the issues of love and the cures of love and things like that. And Ibn Hazm has another kitab like that called Tawqul Hamama. Okay? Ibn al-Qayyim, Ibn Taymiyyah, in that book... He mentions in his kitab Rawdatul Muhibbin wa Nushatul Mushtaqeen he said ilmi, the people who love knowledge fa'adamu shagafan they're the most the severest I've ever seen when it comes to love the people who love knowledge are the greatest when it comes to knowledge their love for knowledge surpasses the image of any individual no one can catch their attention he said the most beautiful, the most handsome person doesn't get their attention. The way that they are attached to knowledge and the way that they are when it comes to understanding what they are pursuing. إذا كان العلم أشرف مطلوب والعمر يطوى كجليد يذوب فعين العقل حفظ الوقت فيه والخوف من التقضيه بلا فائدة والسؤال عنه يوم القيامة يحملني وإياك على المبالغة في رعايته قال ابن الجو قال ابن الجوزي جوزي في في صيد خط في صيد خاطره ينبغي للإنسان أي أن يعرف شرف شرف زمانه وقدر وقته وقدر وقته فلا فلا يضيع منه لحظة في غير قربه في غير في في غير قربة ويقدم فيه فيه الأفضل فالأفضل فالأفضل من القول والعمل ومن هنا عظم ومن هنا عظمت رعاية العلماء وللوقت حتى قال محمد بن عبد الباقي عبد الباقي البزار 
ما ضيعت ساعة ساعة من عمري في لهو أو لعب وقال أبو الوفاء ابن أبو الوفاء ابن عقيل الذي 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 صنف كتاب الفنون في 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 ثما في ثماني ماء في في ثماني ماء في ثمانمائة مجلد في ثمانمائة مئة مئة مجلد إني لا إني لا يحل لي أن أضيع أن أضيع ساعة من عمري أن أضيع ساعة من من عمري وبلغت بهم وبلغت بهم الحال ان يقرأ عليهم حال الاكل فلقد فلقد كان احمد بن سليمان سليمان البلقاسي المتوفى عن 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 ثمانية ثمانية وعشرون سنة يقرأ يقرأ القراءة في حال اكله خوفا من من ضياع وقته في غيرها فكان اصحابه يقرؤون عليه وهو يتناول مأكله ومشربه بل كان يقرأ عليهم وهم في دار الخلاء فكان ابن تيمية تيمية الجد اذا دخل الخلاء لقضاء الحاجة حاجة قال لبعض من حوله اقرأ في هذا الكتاب وارفع صوتك وتجلت هذه هذه الرعاية للوقت عند عند القوم رحمهم الله في في معالم عدة لم تبلغها لم تبلغها لم تبلغها لم تبلغها الحضارات حضارات الإنسانية قاطبة منها كثرة دروسهم فقد كان النووي يقرأ كل يوم اثنى عشر درسا على مشايخه والشوكاني صاحب نيل الأوطار تبلغ دروسه في اليوم والليلة ثلاثة عشر درسا منها ما يأخذه عن مشايخه ومنها ما يأخذه عنه تلاميذته, تلاميذته وأربى محمود محمود الآلوسي صاحب التفسير عليهم جميعا فقد كان يدرس في اليوم أربعة وعشرون درسا ولما اشتغل بالتفسير والإفتاء نقصت إلى ثلاثة عشر درسا ثم رأيت في ثم رأيت في ترجمة ترجمة محمود محمود بن أبي بكر بن ابن جماعة جماعة أن دروسه تبلغ في اليوم والليلة نحو خمسين درسا ومنها كثرة مدور مدور مدروس مدروساتهم فقد درس ابن فقد درس ابن تباني المدون نحو ألف مرة وربما وجد في بعض في بعض كتب كتب عباس بن الفرسي بخطه درست درسته الف مره وكرر غالب بن عبد الرحمن المعروف باب ابن عطيه ووالد صاحب التفسير المشهور صحيح البخاري سبعمائه مره ومنها كثرة ومنها كثرة مكتوباتهم فأحمد بن عبد عبد الدائم المقدسي أحد أحد شيوخ العلم من الجناب من جن من الحنابلة كتب بيده ألفي ألفي مجلد ووقع مثل ومثله لابن الجوزي ومنها كثرة مقروءاتهم فابن الجوزي طلع وهو وهو بعد في طل في في الطلب عشرين ألف ألف مجلد مجلد 
ومنها كثرة شيوخهم فالذي فالذين فالذين جاوز عدد عدد شيوخهم ألف ألف كثير في هذه الأمة وأعجب ما ما ذكر أن أن أبا سعيد السمعاني بلغ عدد عدد شيوخه سبعة سبعة آلاف شيخ قال ابن النجار في في ذيل تاريخ بغداد وهذا شيء لم يبلغه أحد ومنها كثرة مسموعاتهم ومقروءاتهم على شيوخهم من التصانيف من التصانيف من من التصانيف المطولة والأجزاء الصغيرة فقد تعد فقد تعد بالآلاف المؤلفة كما كما وقع كما وقع لابن السمعاني المذكور وصاحب وصاحبه ابن وصاحبه ابن 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 عساكير في جماعة في جماعة آخرين ومنها كثرة مصنفاتهم حتى عدت ألف ألف مصنف لجماعة لجماعة من علماء هذه الأمة منهم عبد عبد الملك بن حبيب وحبيب عالم الاندلس اندلس وابو الفرج والابو الفرج وابو الفرج بن الجوزي فاحفظ ايها ايها الطالب وقتك فلقد ابلغ فلقد ابلغ الوسير الصالح بن هبير هبيرة في في نصحك بقوله والوقت انفس ما 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 عنيت بحفظه وأراه وأراه أسهل ما عليك يضيع. الشيخ رحمه الله he talks about the شيخ رحمه الله now he talks about حفظ الوقت protecting your time and safeguarding your time. the شيخ رحمه الله he brought the statement of ابن الجوزي. ابن الجوزي has a كتاب called سيد الخاطر. the كتاب سيد الخاطر is a book where ابن الجوزي talks about what came to his mind. سيد means to hunt. And Al-Khatir is thoughts. It's a book that he wrote, his thoughts. And it's a very good book. I encourage you all to try to read this book. Sayyidul Khatir. And I think it's translated in the English language now. Amazing book. It's an amazing book. Ibn al-Jawzi, rahimahullah, he said, The person has to know the value of his time. You need to value your time. وَقَدْرَ وَقْتِهِ And how important your time is. You need to know that. فَلَا يُضَيِّعُ مِنْهُ لَحْظَةٍ فِي غَيْرُ قُرْبَةٍ And don't waste a, a minute in your time unless you're trying to get closer to Allah by it. Either you're studying, you're learning, you're teaching, you're, you're benefiting other people around you, you're helping others. All your life, try to fill it up with qurba. You want to get closer to Allah. وَيُقَدِّمُ فِي الْأَفْضَلُ فَالْأَفْضَلُ And do that which is the greatest and the greatest. For example, you have two things in front of you. Time is short. You're not going to live forever. Take that which is better than that which is less. Don't say, oh, but they're all good. No. You, your time is short. What do you take? Al-Afdal. You take the best. Okay? You take the best. Speech and action. What do you do? You take the, the best. Because the time is short. Abu Wafa ibn Aqil is a great Hanbali scholar. He wrote 800 volume book called Al-Funun. I told you this yesterday. His book is Mafqood. We don't have it. 800 volumes. You know what he said? For me, I'm never going to waste and it's not for me to waste a second in my life. Um, Jamaluddin Al-Qasimi one day 
the great Imam in Ahli Sham, he came across a group of people pray, playing chess. They were playing what? Chess. They were playing a board game. And so when he came by them, he saw them and he said, Wallahi, if time was something that could be bought and sold, I would have bought these people's time. Look how they're wasting it. He's struggling to find time to study and learn and memorize. And these people have extra time to play games and to enjoy themselves. Okay? Ahmed ibn Sulaiman al-Bulqasi, rahimahullah, who died the year 820 Hijriya, he was protecting his time so much so that he would, the qira'at, the different dialects of the Qur'an, it will be recited on him fi halil akla, while he was eating. Fi halil akli, while he's eating, he doesn't waste his time. He says, read on me. Ah. Why does he do that? Because he doesn't want to waste his time in that which is not beneficial. Ibn Taymiyyah's granddad. Ibn Taymiyyah's name is Ahmed ibn Abdul Halim ibn Abdul Salam. Abdul Salam, the grandfather of Ibn Taymiyyah, who wrote the Kitab Al-Muntaqa, which Shawkani explained it in the book Naylul um, Awtar. The grandfather of Ibn Taymiyyah, a great scholar, a great Hanbali scholar, has a good book in Hadith, Hadith Al-Ahkam, like Bulugh Al-Maram, it's called Al-Muntaqa. He was so tough on his time, Ibn Taymiyyah's granddad, that he would go to the toilet and he would give a book to someone outside the toilet and he would say, read on me while I'm in the toilet so I can listen. Doesn't want to waste time. Ah, he doesn't want to waste time. So he gives it to the person and he will say to them, اِقْرَأْ فِي هَذَا الْكِتَابِ وَرْفَعْ صَوْتَكَ And raise your voice. So I can, so I can hear you. Um, the Sheikh then brought seven ways, seven ways that the scholars used to be very serious with their time. Ummah Muhammad, in this Ummah that we have, there are people who are like this. And it's shocking because even though this is istidrad, I'm going off topic, but it shocks me. I was in the UK when I was studying university, I was doing my master's in linguistics. I used to go to the British Library, which is right in front of my university in London, central London. It's close to King's Cross. There's a big library in London called the British Library. In there, there are Islamic manuscripts, makhtoutat, Islamic manuscripts. Ibn Taymiyyah's works are there. Sarajuddin al-Bulqini's works are there. Ibn al-Qayyim, Ibn al-Jawzi, these books, Sahih al-Bukhari, Nusqat al-Yunani, all of them are there. So I went there. I wanted to get some, some manuscripts from the works of Sarajuddin al-Bulqini. I went there, brothers, I asked for those works. You know, first of all, who you see in that place? Do you see Muslims? No. You see little of them. What you see is Orientalists. Western academics who go to the university SOAS. Who come, sit there, Arthur, <laughs> Michael, these guys are sitting there. What are they doing? They are reading the Islamic Arabic books. They went to Dimashq for 30 years. They left their family. They done talab al-ilm. 30 years, one guy, 30 years in Sawas. His name was Arthur Smith. I saw him. 30 years, he said, I left my family. I went to Syria and I was learning only the Arabic language. He said, I know dialects. He knows the lahajat of all of different countries. He's a master in the Arabic language. Hakikatan, master. Ash'arul Arab, everything he learned it. He teaches in Sawas University. 
Every three years, he has a six-month course in the Arabic language. When you go to these libraries, you do not find Muslims sitting there and reading and writing and studying. You don't find them. This examples that we're seeing, it's like the past. You don't, like, you don't see that now, nowadays. Anyone who reads. And the non-Muslims, they nurture their children at a very young age to, to give the importance of reading so that when the children are going to sleep, what do they do? They have a, a storybook. So they tell a story to the child. A little, from that age, they're teaching him the importance of reading. Reading. Read. Ah. Muslims, the best way to hide money from Muslims is to put it inside a book. Yeah. You can hide. If, you, if you've got a book, a shelf, you put your money in there, Muslims will never know. Just keep it there. They won't open books. Seven ways that the Sheikh brings that the scholars used to be so serious about seeking knowledge. Nawawi rahimahullah and Imam Nawawi, every day he used to go to 12 lessons. And Imam Al-Nawi, 12 lessons. Al-Imam Al-Alusi, Muhammad Shukri Al-Alusi, the author of the kitab, Ruhul Ma'ani, Tafsir book, 22, 21 volumes, Tafsir book. He used to teach 14 dars every day. 14 dars. And then when he got busy with writing his Tafsir book, and he got busy with that, he made the classes into how many? 13. Just took one, one lesson off. Just to get that time to, teach, to, to write his tafsir book. That's one example of our scholars. Twelve lessons, brothers, a day. Nawawi was coming as a student. And he was reading and he was studying. Number two. Kathratu madrusatihim. How many times they would study a particular book? How many times they would go over one book? Ibn Tabban. He went over the kitab Al-Mudawwana fi fiqh al-Maliki in the Maliki fiqh nahwa alf marra 1,000 times. How many times? A thousand times he studied that book. Abbas ibn al-Abbas al-Farisi rahimahullah he he wrote on some of his books he said darastu alf marratin I studied this book a thousand times. That's the second. Third one is kathratu maktubatim. The old times there wasn't or can you print this book for me? Can you, uh, uh, can you download this uh, for me? They didn't exist. If I want Sahih Bukhari, I have to write all of your Sahih Bukhari from you. So I said to Akhi, can you give me two days? I will write all of Sahih Bukhari in a scroll of mine. Give me two days. Are we all together, brothers? So I go home. I take your Sahih Bukhari. You trust me. And I write. From all of Sahih Bukhari. Fathul Bari. Majmu'ul Fatawa. All of these books, that's how it was written. Are you there, brothers? That's how it was passed on. Some scholars, they wrote books, copied it, and made it their own books. Um, and it, the books that they wrote, it reached Al-Fay Mujalladin. 2,000 volumes. 2,000 volumes they wrote on their hands. With their own hands. From the people who did that is Ibn al-Jawzi. And uh, Ibn Qayyim and Ibn Jama'ah and others mentioned when you write something, it's three times you read it. It's equivalent to reading it three times. In the way it sticks to your head. And even 
countries like my country, Somalia and other countries like that, they write the Quran. The child, he's given a big loh and he's told to write the Quran because it sticks in the head. So go and write it. When the child writes it, it sticks. He's, he masters how to write and the speed of writing things and it also sticks in his head. Also, kathratu makru'atim. This is the fourth. How many works that they read Ibn al-Jawzi, he said, I read 20,000 volumes of book. How many? 20,000. He read it. We don't have that. Number five, they had many teachers that they studied from. Some of them, their teachers reached a thousand. Goes this country, goes that country, goes that country, goes that country. Travels thousand shuyukh. You know, every sheikh he goes to, he milks the knowledge from him, and then goes to the next one. He milks the knowledge from him, and he goes to another one. He milks the knowledge. A thousand. He from this side to the other side. Abu Sa'id Samaniyu, his teachers reached seven thousand teachers. Ibn Najjar mentioned in his kitab Dailu Tabqat al Hanabila. He mentioned that. Uh, how many masmu'at that they heard masmu'at by the way is sometimes scholars what they used to do is there was a majlis a gathering where the person will hear all of Sahih al-Bukhari from a teacher's mouth the teacher will read it they will, everybody has their copy and they listen and this is your ijazah for the kitab some of the scholars they heard and they listened to books and small books and big books from the sheikh to the sheikh to the sheikh, oh, more than thousands, thousands of times. That's the sixth. The seventh is kathratu musannafatihim. How many works that they wrote? For example, Abdul Malik ibn Habib, who is Alim Andalus, he wrote his own works. Is a thousand. By the way, a thousand books means one book can be ten volumes, or twenty volumes, or even thirty volumes. A thousand books. All together. 1,000 books. And some of these books are 30 volumes, 20 volumes, 15 volumes, 10 volumes. Ah, 1,000 books he wrote. And then the poet said, Time is the most valuable thing, brothers. The most valuable thing in your life is your time. And if you forsake that, then brothers, there's nothing you're going to value in life. Nothing, Allah. Anyone who forsakes time and just in laughs and enjoys, they are going to regret it one day, yeoman Matt, that I didn't benefit from this time. And I didn't take it very serious. And I didn't do things. You will regret. So don't be, as, the, as they say in the English language, don't be a person who cries over spilt milk. You cry over something that's happened that you can't do anything about it. What should you focus on, brothers? Taking your, this opportunity serious now. Let your existence in this world have some value. Don't be a person who came to this dunya and you leave it and all you've left behind is your waste. Leave benefits. For yourself, number one, and from the, from, from, to, from, to those who are around you. And those who are around you now. And then the author, rahimahullah, concluded the kitab by saying, Brothers, 
امتثلوا مقاعد التعظيم وأنتم تقلبون على مقاعد التعليم تجدون نفعه وتحمدون عاقبته وإياكم والتعاون بها والعزوف عنها فإنها مفتاح العلم ومرقات الفهم وبها تجمع العلوم وتؤصل وبها تسير الفنون وتحصل فشمروا عن ساعد الجد ولا تشغلوا بمعيئة للجد واحفظوا رحمكم الله قول, قول الإمام أبي عبد الله بن القيم طالب النفوذ إلى الله والدار الآخرة بل إلى كل علم وصناعة ورئاسة بحيث يكون رأسا في ذلك ومقتدى به فيه يحتاج أن يكون شجاعا مقداما حاكما على همه على وهمه غير مقهور تحت سلطان تخيله وزاهدا في كل ما سوى مطلوبه عاشقا لما توجه إليه عارفا بطريق الوصول إليه وطرق القواطع ومقدام الهمنة ثابت للجأش لا يثنيه عن مطلوبه لوم لائم عن عن مطلوبه لوم لائم ولا عذل عاذل كثير السكور دائما الفكر غير مائل مع لذة المدح ولا ألم الذنب قائما بما يحتاج إليه من أسباب معونته لا تستفزه المعارضات شعاره الصبر وراحته التعب محبا لمكارم الأخلاق حافظا لوقته لا يخالط الناس إلا على حذر كالطائر الذي يلتقط الحبد بينهم قائما على نفسه بالرغبة والرابة طامعا في نتائج الاختصاص على بني جنسه غير مرسل شيئا من حواسه عبثا ولا مسرحا خواطرة في مراتب الكون وملاك ذلك هجر العوائد وقطع العوائل وقطع العلائق الحائلة بينك وبين المطلوب انتهى كلامه فيما أجمله فيما أجمله ذكرى وتبصرة اللهم يسر لنا تعظيم العلم وإجلاله واجعلنا ممن سعى له كذلك فناله اللهم إنا نسألك علما نافعا ونعوذ بك من علم لا ينفع اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا اللهم اقسم لنا من خشيتك ما تحول به بيننا وبين معصيتك ومن طاعتك ما تبلغنا به جنتك ومن اليقين ما تهون بي علينا مصائب الدنيا اللهم متعنا بأسماعنا وبصارنا وقواتنا أبدا ما أحييتنا واجعله الوارث منا اللهم لا تجعل الدنيا أكبر همنا ولا مبلغ علمنا ولا إلى النار مصيرنا ولا تسلط علينا من لا يخافك فينا ولا يرحمنا إن شاء الله تعالى بارك الله فيك الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد إن شاء الله تعالى We're now going to move on to the second book which is منظومة القواعد الفقهية written by شيخ العلامة عبد الرحمن بن ناصر السعدي رحمه الله نعم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله العلي الأرفق وجامع الأشياء والمفرق ذي النعم الواسعة الغزيرة الغزيرة والحكم الباهرة الكثيرة ثم الصلاة مع سلام دائم على الرسول القرشي القاتم وآله وصحبه الأبرار الحائز مراتب مراتب الفخار اعلم هديت أن أفضل المنن علم يزيل يزيل الشك عنك والدرن والدرن 
ويكشف الحق لذي القلوب ويوصل العبد إلى المطلوب. The author رحمه الله he authored عبد الرحمن ابن ناصر السعدي wrote a كتاب called القواعد الفقهية. What does قواعد الفقهية deal with? It is in English legal maxims. قواعد الفقهية what? Legal Islamic maxims. You're going to learn principles in which the religion goes back to. And this is the way forward in gaining knowledge. We can't memorize the sub-branches. They're too much. What we should focus on is the qawaid and the principles. What will that allow us? What it will allow us is to bring back all of the sub-branches to that. The poet, he said, فَدِينُنَا لَمْ يَخْلُ عَنْ حُكْمٍ عَلَى مَرِّ الزَّمَانِ لَوْ بَدَى مَا أَعْضَلَى لِأَنَّهُ قَدْ إِحْتَوَى قَوَاعِدًا تُسْتَخْرَجُ الْأَحْكَامَ عَنْهَا رَاشِدًا فَدِينُنَا لَمْ يَخْلُ عَنْ حُكْمٍ عَلَى هُدِيتَ أَنَّا أَفْضَلَ Sorry. And the poet, he said, فَدِينُنَا Our religion has not left out anything that we would need. Anything that will bring us closer to Allah. Anything that will take us to Jannah. Anything that will distance us from the hellfire, our religion has told us about it. Also, our religion, our deen, what, it, what it's also done is, any issues of our worldly affairs, our religion has also provided us with what? A solution. How do we work in this particular situation? Our religion has done that. But how has it done it? Has it spoken about everything by its name? No. Principles. قواعد. It gave us principles. So inshallah ta'ala, this book, we're going to study those principles. The, the author, rahimahullah, he started the book with the basmala. So he said, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Thumma thalla bil hamdala. And then he said, Alhamdulillah. Thumma thalla bil salati was salam. And then number three, he sent, he sent peace and salutation onto the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and on his companions. These three, which is basmala. Hamdala and as salah and as-salam. This is called adab tasnif the manners of authorship. The manner of what? Authorship. When you author, you say Bismillah, you also say Alhamdulillah, and you also say Wasalatu was salamu ala Rasulillahi wa alihi wa sahbi. This is called adab tasnif the manners and the way to author a book. Then the author said, "Ilam hudita anna afdal alminan. Ilmun yuzilu shakka anka wadaran, wayakshifu alhakka li dilqulubi, wayusilu alabda ila almatlubi. Fahris ala fahmika lilqawaidi, jamiati almasail alshawaridi, litartaqi fi alilm khayra murtaqa, wataktafi subla ladi qadufika." The author, rahimahullah, he says, "Ilam know, ilam know, have knowledge. Ilam hudita may Allah guide you, brothers. Pay attention. Ilam." The author started his poetry with i'lam. After he said, Alhamdulillah, and Alhamdulillah, and As-Salaa ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, As-Salaa wa sallam ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sahbihi, he said, i'lam, have knowledge. Why is he saying have knowledge? Because it's important to have knowledge, brothers. I'lam, have knowledge. What's the definition of knowledge? Three things. Knowledge is three points. Idraku shay'a ala ma huwa alayhi idrakan jazima. It is to perceive something. That's number one. Knowledge is what? Perception of something. Idraku shay. That's number one. 
ala ma huwa as it is that's number 2 idraken jazimak with certainty that's 3 if those 3 tick 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 is knowledge perception someone asked you what is this in your head there's a perception there's an idea in your head that's number 1 the second one is the thought in your head and the reality of this thing they go hand in hand it is correct that's the point number two number three is that you're certain there's no doubt in your heart that this is a cup if you say mm, it's not called ilm those are the three points that's knowledge so have knowledge means have those three things intact have those three things present in you are we all together brothers that's what it means no may Allah guide you May Allah what? Guide you. The guidance is two types. Write this down. The reason why we say the guidance is two types is because in the Quran when we look, Allah affirms in one place guidance for the Prophet wasallam, and in another place Allah negates guidance from the Prophet. Like for example, Muhammad, you can't guide whoever you want. Allah is the one who guides. So the Prophet, he's told here he can't do guidance. But then we have another ayah where Allah says, You guide to the straight path. So the question here is, what is the guidance that's been affirmed here for the Prophet and that it's said that he has? And what is the guidance that Allah is negating for the Prophet here? It's easy. The guidance is two types. The guidance which is Hidayatud Dalala. Hidayatud Dalala. Hidayatud Dalala means what? And brothers, it's important to give uh, importance to give importance to your makharij, your pronunciation. Okay? When you pronounce the Arabic language, it's very important that you give importance to pronouncing words correctly. Because the word dalala is biddali, is dal. And if you say dalala as a dad, which is another makhraj, the meaning become two opposite meanings. Hidayatu dalala biddali, it means the hidayah, the guidance of showing the path. Whereas hidayatu dalala is the opposite. Dalala, you all know what it means, it means misguidance. So how can it be the, the guidance of the misguidance? It's, it's an oxymoron, as they call it in the English language. So, dal. Hidayatu dalala. The first type of guidance is called hidayatu. Hidayatu dalala, which is to show the path. Nabiullah Muhammad can do that, and that's the one Allah affirmed for the Prophet. The guidance that's negated from the Prophet and anybody else is, is what? Hidayatu irshad. Sorry, hidayatu tawfiq. Hidayatul Tawfiq. Hidayatul Tawfiq means placing the, the truth in the person's heart. That's something Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam cannot do and we can't also do it. Only Allah ta'ala does that. So the author here is saying, I'lam know hudita. May Allah guide you. Meaning, may Allah take the truth and place it in your heart. Only Allah can do that. May Allah do that for you subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the guidance is two types. The first one is Hidayatul Dalala and the second one is called Hidayatul At-Tawfiq. 
Hidayah to Tawfir. And that's the one Allah negated from the Prophet. The greatest blessing, the greatest bliss is knowledge, brothers. Oh Allah. The Shaykh is saying the best blessing is knowledge. But what knowledge is the best? It's the knowledge that has two characteristics. Write this down. The knowledge that has two characteristics is the beneficial knowledge. You always hear beneficial knowledge, right? Which, what is beneficial knowledge? It is, the Sheikh mentioned to you, اعلم هديت أن أفضل المنن علم يزيل الشك عنك ودرن It is the knowledge that removes from you harm. It removes from you deficiency. That's number one. And the second is, it replaces it with completeness. And it, I don't even think completeness is an English word. I just made that up, by the way. Completeness is not an English word. I just always say it. It's incorrect. It's made up. I added that suffix at the ending. Ness. Balkamalat, meaning it brings about that which completes you as a person. So the first thing is that it gets rid of those deficient things that are in you. What are the, some of the examples of deficient things that knowledge gets rid of? Arrogance. Because the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. The more you study, the more you learn. Ajit, I don't know nothing. So it gets rid of that trait. Remember, people who are knowledgeable are generally quiet. They don't talk too much. Because you know what the scholars, they say, they say an empty vessel sounds more than a full one. Sah? The empty cup, it makes a lot of noise. The one who's ignorant, he makes a lot of noise. He's always shouting, screaming. The knowledgeable person is full, so he doesn't make, he doesn't make noise. Does, does that make sense? So it gets rid of these traits. Knowledge gets rid of those naqais and those afat. Second, the beneficial knowledge brings about completeness. It completes you as a person. It fills you up with good traits. And those good traits are humility and humbleness. It brings about um, eagerness to listen. You listen more often. You question good questions. Some knowledgeable people ask good questions. They ask, mm, well, what about this? Even a person who is has no Islamic knowledge. You want to know their life so you can take life experience from them. So you say, when you were young, what, what did, how did you grow up? Ah, what did you do in that situation? Ah. You know these things down. Because you learn from experiences, itself is knowledge. The wise man, that's what he does. He takes everybody's and takes it down. Well, I'll tell you something. In the West... One of the things that shocked me the most is they value data collection. Western countries, they love data, information, surveys, data collection, the progression of their business, looking at other ventures. They give so much information. They will pay billions just to gain information. 
billions. The money is insignificant. The information is what they want. Collecting data and knowing is that they honor that. Us, work about it enough. Don't talk too, too much to me. Just give me the money. That's what we're just giving the money. We just want that. We just want the money. Sah? A wise person, brothers, he's eager to know. And he's eager to complete those little things that are missing. Let me fill these things up. So this is what beneficial knowledge means. That's what the author is saying. اعلم هديت أن أفضل المين العلم يزيل الشك عنك ودرن ويكشف الحق لذي القلوب ويوصل العبد إلى المطلوب. Okay, good, good. What was the first characteristics of beneficial knowledge? It gets rid of what? Deficiency, right? Ah, what deficiencies does it get rid of? The Sheikh mentioned it to you. Write it down. It gets rid of two deficiencies. It gets rid of doubt. Beneficial knowledge, the deficiency that it gets rid of is doubt. You become certain. Conviction starts to come. You know why you see a lot of people who don't know what to do in their life and they're always like, I don't know what to do, I don't know. It's lack of knowledge. You just, the road becomes blurry. Things are not clear for you. The more you learn, the more you know what you want in life. The more you, want to know, you know what to achieve. That's number one. Shak. By the way, brothers, shak, doubt is one of the greatest things that bring about depression and anxiety. Are we all together, brothers? Allah what did he say about the disbelievers? When the truth came to them, they disbelieved in it. And Allah says that they are in confusion. They're just confused. One day they're calling him a sahir. Another time they're calling him a, 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 a sha'ir, a poet. They can't make their mind up what is Nabi Muhammad. Give him one title and call him that. They can't. They're confused. Why are they confused? Because they went against the truth. So the first characteristics that it gets rid of, the author, uh, by the way, I'm not getting anything from anywhere outside. It's what the sheikh is mentioning. It gets rid of shak. And daran means it gets rid of the taint on your heart. See, in order to gain knowledge, you have to see. There has to be a vision. There is that, something that can blur that vision. Knowledge, what does it do? It lifts that. It lifts it. These are the two things. It gets rid of doubt. And it also gets rid of what? The ability of not seeing things. Now someone may ask, what's the difference between shak and that? Shak means you can see both, but you don't know which one to pick. Like in Daran is what? When you can't even see both. Knowledge gets rid of both. Knowledge, beneficial knowledge removes that from you. You start to know what you want. Okay? وَيَكْشِفُ الْحَقَّ لِذِي الْقُلُوبِ And what does it give you? It gives you the ability to see what you want in life and what you want to achieve and attain. And it gives you clarity to the truth. That's what Allah said in Surah Al-Qaf. إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَذِكْرَى When he mentioned about death and Allah spoke about akhirah and Allah spoke about jahannam. يَوْمَ نَقُولُ لِجَهَنَّمَ هَلِمْ تَلَأْتِ وَتَقُولُ هَلِمْ الْمَزِيدِ After all of that, Allah says, إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَذِكْرَى This is a reminder. For who? All of this is a reminder for a person who comes with two qualities. He listens. He gives his ear. A lot of people, we, we don't listen. We don't listen. We lack the ability of listening. And the day of judgment, one of the things that we're going to regret the most is what? 
بل كذب الله سيس وقالوا لو كنا نسمع أو نعقل ما كنا في أصحاب السعير فاعترفوا بذنبهم فسحقا لأصحاب السعير listening and also what your heart whatever was on it getting taken off it the truth becomes clear to you that's what the author rahimahullah says وَيُوصِلُ الْعَبْدَ إِلَى الْمَطْلُوبِ and it will make you reach the goal that you're trying to achieve beneficial knowledge brothers it shows you the truth and it even allows you to get to your goal that's what beneficial knowledge does for you that's the outcome نعم هيا فاحرص على فهمك للقواعد جامعة المسائل والشوارد فترتقي في العلم في العلم خير مرتقى وتقتفي سبل الذي قد وفقا وهذه قواعد نظمتها من كتب من كتب أهل أهل العلم قد حصلتها جزاهم المولى عظيم الأجر والعفو من غفرانه والبر The author, Allah, says, فحرص على فهمك للقواعد جامعة المسائل الشواريد فترتقي في العلم خير مرتقى وتقتفي سبل الذي قد وفقا فحرص, strive What do you do? فحرص على فهمك للقواعد Brothers, it's hard to memorize فروع المسائل What do I mean by فروع المسائل? For example, fiqh We have as shafi'i, the madhab I, I follow is the Shafi'i Madhab, for example. We have a kitab that in our country and within the Shafi'i Madhab we study. It's called Kitab Al-Minhaj and it's written by Nawawi. Huh? What is it called? Minhaj. Written by who? Abu Zakariya Nawawi, rahimahullah. The Kitab Al-Minhaj has 60,000 masail fiqhiyya in it. How am I going to memorize all of that? 60,000 masail. How is that going to go all in my head? How am I going to keep that in my head when I need it? It's hard. Are we all together, brothers? That's just one book. Then there's the kitab called Irshad al Ghawi by Ibn, Ibn Muqri, which has 90,000 masail in there. And that's just two books now we reached in fiqh. How is, how is a person who the Prophet said, Amar ummati ma bayna sitina wa sab'in, my ummah is going to live between 60 to 70, wa qalilun man yajuzu dalik, and little go over 70. How am I going to memorize all of that and keep it in my head? I can't. So this is where the scholars, they said, look, let's write qawaid, principles, that maybe 2,000 misail might come under one qaida. Good. So you memorize the qaida, you hold on to this qaida, somebody mentions something, you're like, it comes under this qaida, it comes under this qaida. Fahris, that's why the author is saying to you, Fahris ala fahmika lil qawaidi. Strive, put effort in understanding qawaid. Jami'atil masail shawaridi. So many different sub-branches that are dispersed, all of them will come under it. I'll give you an example. One of the qawaids that we're going to come across now is called al-umuru bimaqasidiha. Things are based on their intention. Things are what? Matters are judged based on their intention. This is a qaida. This enters, as Imam Shafi'i said, يَدْخُلُ سِتِينَ بَابًا مِنْ أَبْوَابِ الْفِقْ 70 chapters of fiqh, I can use this one qa'idah. Imam Shafi'i said this. How? A man is married to a woman. Him and his wife are married. We know if the man divorces his wife, بِلَفْضٍ صَرِيحٍ A clear statement, statement. For example, he says to her, طَلَّقْتُكِ I've divorced you. She becomes divorced. This doesn't... We already... We already see what he said. We'll consider that to be one divorce. But he didn't. 
he used an indirect speech. Him and his wife had a quarrel and he said to her, go home, go to your mom. Go back to your mom's house. Or he said to her, you're free. Now you're free, go to your mom's house. This is called kinaya. This one now, we can't give a ruling to it. What do we need? We need his intention. It goes into the qa'idah, which is al-umuru. Al-umuru bi maqasidiha. Am I, am I, uh, are we all together, brothers? So one mas'ala. This is a, a sub-branch. It happened, somebody came up to me, asked me this question. I know, I know the qa'idah. I'm holding on to this qa'idah. Somebody asked me this question, I'll say, al-umuru bi maqasidiha. What did you intend? Wallahi, I didn't intend divorce. I only went, I was angry. I just wanted her to go to her mom's house. I think about it, and then later we can come together. Okay, good. We will take what you say. Another man came. He, Janaba happened to him. Major impurity happened to him. He woke up, and from an intimate relationship with his spouse, Ghusl is wajib on him. Sahih? Ghusl is wajib, right? He went into the shower. He didn't even intend ghusl. He got the water, splashed it over himself. When he came out, what did he do? He said, I showered. I'm clean now. Do I have to do ghusl? What do we say? We say, yes. Al-umuru Did you come with the intention of ghusl? Because the intent of ghusl going is based on what? The intention. You didn't come with the intention. Even though the objective was met, which is that he's clean. But no, the intention is missing. Are we all together? Another example. In the month of Ramadan, what does the person have to do the night before Ramadan, the day before Ramadan comes in? In the night. He has to come with the intention that he's going to fast tomorrow. Sahih. The Prophet said, The person who does not intend and come with an intention the night before then the day he has no fasting. So Ramadan, the scholars differ amongst themselves. Does he have to come with the intention every single night of Ramadan? Or does he, is it enough for him to come with it once for the whole entire month of Ramadan? Some scholars, there's a difference of opinion. But the point is, there has to be an intention. Are we all together, brothers? What about Sunnah? No. The Sunnah, you don't have to. The Sunnah, you can come home at 10 o'clock. And you say to your wife, honey, is there any food that you cooked? And she says, no, we didn't cook food yet. And you go, Inni I am a fasting man. Since you didn't give me breakfast and it's 10 p.m., 10 a.m., no problem. Don't worry. I will fast the remaining portion of the day. What's the difference? This is a nafila and this is a sunnah. And the difference between them is the intention, how it's dealt with in both situations. So brothers, I've just shown you one qa'idah under it can enter many different masail. Are we all together? Two men are traveling as they're, they're traveling. They're on the flight. Two friends, good friends. He says, oh, I'm going to travel to Mecca. Another goes, ah, can I travel with you? Yes, come. They both go on the flight. They book the flight from the same agency. They get their ticket sent to their email at the same time. They pay it from one bank card. And they go on the flight together and they sit right next to each other and they land in Mecca. One is rewarded and the other one isn't rewarded. How? The action is the same. This one went to Mecca to do Umrah and that was his intention. The other one went to Mecca because he was going to marry someone in Mecca. It's not a sin, 
But the difference between them is what? The intention. Do you see, brothers, how it changes everything? So, فَحْرِصْ عَلَى فَهْمِكَ لِلْقَوَاعِدِ Give importance to memorizing, even memorizing قواعد, principles. Under that, so many sub-branches will fall under it. Look what he said. فَتَرْتَقِي فِي الْعِلْمِ خَيْرَ مرتقى. You will grow. You will go on the ladder of knowledge a nice way. وَتَقْتَفِي سُبُلَ الَّذِي قَدْ وُفِّقَ And you're going to take the path of the people of knowledge who reach their goal. Then he said to you, وَهَذِهِ قَوَاعِدُ النَّظَمْتُهَا I, Abdurrahman Nasir Sa'di, I have written for you in a full, a poetic form some lines of, uh, some, some, some قَوَاعِد فِقِيَ I've written it here for you. مِنْ كُتْبِ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ قَدْ حَصَّلْتُهَا And I got it only from the books of the people of knowledge. Another thing you find from the humility of the scholars is that they don't claim what isn't theirs. He, he's saying, this is not mine. I only gathered it from the books of the people of knowledge. And I'm giving you guys what I got from the works of the people of knowledge. The author then makes dua for the people of knowledge. And this is another characteristic. One of the great characteristics of a righteous person is he makes dua for those who preceded him. I will together. Ibn Malik in his Alfiyah, what did he say? He said, فَائِقَةً أَلْفِيَّةَ بْنَ مُعْطِي وَهُوَا بِسَبْقٍ حَائِزٌ تَفْضِيلًا مُسْتَوْجِبٌ ثَنَائِيَ الْجَمِيلًا وَاللَّهَ أَرْجُوا بِهِبَاتٍ وَافِرًا لِي وَلَهُ فِي دَرَجَاتِ الْآخِرَةِ He said, my, my book is better than uh, the book of Ibn uh, Mu'ti's kitab. Ibn Malik is saying this. It's a thousand line grammar book. My book is better than his book. But he is better than me. Because he came closer to the time of the Prophet than me. Are we all together, brothers? So the Shaykh, rahimahullah, he now goes into the um, the qawaid, uh, insha'Allah ta'ala. Naam. Naam. Wanniyatu shartu lisa'iri al-amal biha salahu wal-fasadu lil-amal. The Shaykh, rahimahullah, he says, والنية الشرط لسائر العمل بها الصلاح والفساد للعمل. Actions are based on their intention. Niya is a condition. It's a prerequisite. And the niya is what? The intention is a prerequisite. You need to come with it. What's the difference between someone who's praying duhur and asr as a traveler? What's the difference? Four and four. فرق. He's a traveler. He's going to combine the two prayers. What's the difference between Dhuhr and Asr? He's praying them at the same time. What's the difference? The intention, brothers. That's it. There's no difference. He's a traveler. He's going to combine Dhuhr and Asr together. Two and two is going to pray. He can either pray Jam'u Taqdeemin or Jam'u Ta'akhir. He can bring it forward or he can put it back. What is the distinguishing factor between the two? When he prays, he comes with the intention of Salatul Dhuhr. And this one is what? Write this down, brothers. When the scholars talk about intention, they break it into two. They break it into what? Two. The first one is Tamyuzul Ibadat Anil Adat. Distinguishing 
ibadah from a non ibadah thing a norms a custom distinguishing an ibadah from norms based on intention like for example what i gave you a man every morning when he wakes up he showers it's his normal routine he's always like this he loves to always shower showering is his thing he can't go out if he doesn't shower methelen okay how does he distinguish the morning that he's going to do the shower his normal shower and the ghusl janaba he has to distinguish the ibadah which is the ghusl from this ada his norm based on an intention that's the first one the second one is tamyizul ibadati ba'dhiha an ba'dhin distinguishing the ibadah from one another the ibadah they're both ibadah but you're distinguishing one from the other one and that's the example I gave you which is the person who's praying a traveler who's praying Dhuhr and Asr both of them are ibadah but he has to distinguish one from the other yeah he prays Dhuhr and he prays Asr how does he what distinguish this one from this one so it's tamizul ibadat ba'diha an ba'din are we all together? Lacking the word niyyah, the fuqaha use it in those two that I just mentioned. The two that I just mentioned is the usage of the fuqaha, the scholars of fiqh. The scholars of aqidah, they use the word niyyah as ikhlas. And ikhlas means who are you doing it for? Who's who are you intending? Are we all together, brothers? Who are you doing this action for? Aslan. And that means what? Ikhlas. The fuqaha don't deal with that. Who deal with that? And you study that in the books of what? At-Tawheed al-Aqeedah. Are we all together, brothers? Naam. So, but brothers, I just want you to remember something. There are five... They're called five... They're called... There are five major legal maxims. What are they called? The five great legal maxims. These five major legal maxims are unanimously agreed upon by all of the fuqaha and the jurists. The Islamic fuqaha, meaning Islamic jurists, they all unanimously agree on these five. The first of them is which one? The one that we just took right now, which is al-umuru bimaqasidiha. Every action is based on what you intended. That's the first one. How much is left? We'll come to the next four, inshallah, as we go along. Hayyah. والدين مبني على المصالح في جلبها والدرء للقبائح فإن تزاحم عدد المصالح يقدم, يقدم, يقدم الأعلى من المصالح وضده تزاحم المفاسد يرتكب, يرتكب. يرتكب الأدنى من المفاسد The author now goes into the religion of Islam is a religion that is built upon جلب المصالح are we all together brothers our religion is built upon jalbul masalih 
تحصيل المصالح to bring about good and to remove harm write that down Islam as a religion its ultimate goal its objective is to bring to you masalih benefits and to repel from you harm does that make sense? which one takes precedence over which? so we have Islam is a religion that brings about good and it repels evil which one takes precedence? precedence means here which one goes first? repelling the harm or bringing the good? Does everyone understand the question? I said that the religion of Islam, is, it's there. This deen that you're looking at right now, it's taking care of you, brothers. Allah is taking care of you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's observing you. And Allah's laws are in line with your essence and how you are. It was tailored for you. Nothing else can do the job except the religion. Ah. Now that the religion brings these benefits from you and it also repels harm from you, which one should you give importance to? You're in a situation. There's good you can bring or there's harm you can push away. Which one do you go first for? Write this down. Repelling the harm takes precedence over bringing about good. Okay? <laughs> Repelling the harm takes precedence over what? Over thinking about bringing good. You're in a situation, you think about getting rid of the harm. Then thinking about bringing good. And that's common sense even, Zahir. If you've got a job and you can get something, but you're going to lose something, you first of all, push away what you're going to lose is before you start thinking of what you're going to gain and what you're going to achieve. صح? Good. Another thing I want you to write down. Yeah? Everything we're going to be, examples, evidences. I just, first, let's do the soul of the qawaid and I'll give you so much examples. Are we all together, brothers? Let me just mention one example. The Prophet ﷺ, when he came to his wife, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala, he said, Ya Aisha, O oh Aisha, Aisha, if your people, meaning Quraysh, and it's the same people as the Prophet, if they were not new to Islam, The Prophet said, Aisha, Aisha, if your people were not new to Islam, I would have destroyed the Kaaba. The part you, you who's been to the Kaaba? Put your hand up. Who's been to Mecca? Have you guys seen Mecca? There's a, a the part that they call Hijr Ismail. Huh? The Hijr Ismail, you can't do tawaf inside it. True or false? Why? Because it's the Kaaba itself. It's part of the Kaaba. It was meant, the, the black was meant to be up to there. That should have been the whole entire, uh, the whole entire stone should have been that. So the Prophet said, I would have added that extension. But Quraysh, recently the issue of Abraha happened. 
and Quraysh. Kaaba is something big to them. If Muhammad now goes to Kaaba with all of the rumors that are going on, what's going to happen? The Prophet wants to be good, but he thought about repelling the harm first. Are we all together, brothers? It's good he wants to bring, but the harm is what you need to repel first. So you've thought about Another example. The Prophet amongst his people were munafiqeen ma'lumun nifaq. Their hypocrisy was well known. Like Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salon and others. The Sahabas, they said, Ya Rasulullah, ala nadribu unuqa hadha al-munafiq. Why should we not smack the neck of this hypocrite? Let's kill him. Abdullah ibn Ubay said so many bad things about the Prophet. The whole surah al-munafiqun came down on him. He's known, the Prophet was told that this man's a munafiq. Then the Prophet وسلم, he said, I don't want the people to say that Muhammad kills his own followers. If I kill Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salal, the outside world are going to say Muhammad has not only killed the community outside and he's not only caused bloodshed outside, but he's now turning to his own people and he's murdering them. That's what they're going to say. They won't look at he's a hypocrite or not. So this is masalih and mafasid. Are we all together, brothers? This is all masalih and mafasid. There's many examples, brothers. Another example that was very present at the time of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah was the Umara and the leaders of the time of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. They used to drink alcohol and they were alcoholics. So some of the scholars of that time, they started to write books in refuting them and uh, advising them on the issue of alcohol. Saying don't drink alcohol. Uh, ayats, the hadiths regarding what? Regarding what? Alcohol and how it's dangerous drinking alcohol. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said to the scholars of that time, why are you stopping them from drinking alcohol? Let them drink. Hey, why? Because when they are drunk, they are not killing no one. When they are not drunk... They're not killing anyone. And killing is worse than what? Alcohol. So once they're drunk, they're busy with themselves and their own problems. Ibn Taymiyyah is looking at the evil is two types. A evil which is called ma'atiyah, which is qasira. It's only to you. You're only doing it to yourself. You're drinking. You're doing your own little haram. Up to you. And the second one is called muta'addi. It's transitive in English. You're not only, it's not only to you. It's other people you're bringing it in. Are we all together? Which one is worse? The one that includes other people is worse than the one that's restricted to you. Sahih? So now, which is the one that the author now mentioned, I'm going to come to it, inshallah, soon. The point is, brothers, scholars observe masalih and mafasid and how it works. For example, you're in a situation where someone came up to you and said to you, brother, uh, I want you to teach me a book. And at that particular time that that person is asking you to teach that book to them, you generally pray Qiyamul Layl and you have your Wird Layl. And you don't want to stop it. What should you do? Helping this person and teaching them is a benefit, is a maslaha. You praying Qiyamul Layl is a maslaha. Which one's better? Teaching this person is better. Why? Because the benefit that's restricted to you is not the same as the benefit that involves someone else. When you pray, you pray by yourself. And you're bringing only yourself benefit. 
Whereas when you educate this person and you teach them, your benefit is moving on to someone else. It's greater. Are we all together? And then this science of knowing the masalih, and that tazahum is one of the hardest subjects. That's why many people come up to you and say, oh, brother, I want to seek knowledge. What do I do with my job and seeking knowledge? These are always questions people ask. Fiqh of mufadalatil a'mal, the virtues between actions, and which one should I pick and which one should I not pick and how should I not do it and what should I not do, is itself a big chapter. What is it? It's a big chapter. Write this down, brothers. I just said to you, Islam is a religion that brings about what? Benefits. How does it bring about benefits? In two ways. Write this down. Islam brings about benefits in two ways. The first one is, it brings a benefit that wasn't there. Islam comes and it initiates. It initiates a brown new benefit. That's the first thing. It initiates it. It starts it. And the second one is, it completes the benefit as well. That's number two. What does it do? It increases it and adds on to it. It's the second thing it does. When it comes to removing the evil, how do you remove the evil? Write this down. Write this down. The way that the Sharia removes the evil is in two ways. The first one is, of course, to fully get rid of it. And fully eradicate it. Okay, fully remove it from its roots. The religion wants to remove harm from its roots. But if it can't do it, what does it do? It lessens it. What does it do? It lessens it. Reduces it. Ah. So the best point to say about this qaida is the religion is built upon bringing about good and completing it and repelling the evil in its essence or reducing it that's what it is brothers now I want to ask you guys a question what is a benefit that the religion is bringing what is a benefit this is another issue that you tend to find. A maslaha is not determined by you and me. <laughs> a lot of people, the problem is, Wallahi, al masalih wal mafasid. No, brother, this is your personal benefit. It's not a religious benefit, you see? Or a benefit for the organization. He makes it like a religious benefit. No, it's not a religious benefit. It's a benefit only for your organization. We're not talking about that. What is a maslaha is named and coined by and it's mentioned by the sharia. The sharia says this is a maslaha. And who mentions the mafasid? Who mentions the harm? The sharia. Are we all together, brothers? Write this down. The masalih are two types. We, there's many ways we can look at the masalih, but the masalih are two types. Okay? The first maslaha is called maslahatun khalisa. Pure maslaha. This is only maslaha. There's no harm in this one. It's pure maslaha. And that is la ilaha illallah. And a tawheed. That's a maslaha khalisa. Are we all together, brothers? Tawheed is a maslaha khalisa. 
The second one is called maslaha rajiha. Maslaha rajiha means 80% is a maslaha, but 20% of it is a mafsada. And that is jihad fi sabilillah. Jihad fi sabilillah is not a maslaha khalisa. It's a maslaha rajiha. Because remember, the children are going to be orphans, which is a mafsada. The wife is going to be a widowed. It's a mafsada. Okay? 20% or 30% whatever it is, there's a mafsada in it. Okay? Are we all together, brothers? The mafasid are two types. Mafasid which are khalisa, pure mafsada, that's shirk. And mafsada which is rajiha. A mafsada which is rajiha. Mafsada is higher than the benefit in it. There's benefit, there's 30% benefit in it. Example for that is alcohol. Is there a benefit in alcohol? Yeah, there is benefit in it. Allah is saying there's a benefit in it. Like we say it's a mafsad rajiha. The harm in it is higher than the benefit in it. Are we all together? I don't know if it's true. And don't quote me on this. But they said, Allah A'lam, it's to those who said it. I'm just, I came across it and I have not verified it in its essence. But they said a percentage of alcohol that's not overused is beneficial for the heart. Doctors, if it's true, if it's not Allah A'lam, I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> But the point is, we do believe there's benefit in it because Allah said there's benefit in it. Okay? What did Allah say? There is benefit in it. Like if the benefit is so low and the mafasid is greater. Are we all together, brothers? That's the types of masalih and the types of mafasid. Which one is the one that confuses the people a lot? It's the masalih al-rajiha and the mafasid al-rajiha. This is where all the argumentations always come. No one argues about masalih khalisa. And masalih, mafasid khalisa, unless he is a what? A person who needs a medical attention. No. Anyways, the point I'm trying to say, brothers, is there are so many things that can be spoken about regarding this. And there's a kitab I will encourage you to buy. It's called Qawa'idul Anam fi Masalih. Qawa'idul Ahkam, sorry. Fi Masalih al Anam. Qawa'idul Ahkam fi Masalih al Anam. It's a two-volume book written by Al-Izz ibn Abdi Salam. Sultan Al-Ulama. Al-Izz ibn Abdi Salam has a book on the issue of Masalih al-Mafasid. That's it. Ah, the whole book is about that. Two volumes. 300-something pages here and 300-something pages. 600-something pages or 700 pages on just the concept of Masalih al-Mafasid. That's a lot, right? Ibn Al-Qayyim in his kitab, in his I'lam, he also speaks about the concept of masalih and mafasid greatly. Okay? A lot of people today will say to you, Akhi, there's a maslaha in this issue. But Akhi, it goes against the Quran and the Sunnah. How can this be referred to as a maslaha? This happens to so many people. And at the time of Abu Bakr, it happened to even some of the companions. And Abu Bakr corrected them. And an example for that was the issue of Osama ibn Zaydin taking the army. 
When the Prophet ﷺ died, Osama ibn Zayd was 16 years of age. The Prophet gave him an army and said, run this army. Pay attention to this, brothers. Are we all together? The Prophet put him in charge. He gave him the position. The messenger died before the army can wage war. Abu Bakr took over the Khilafah. Abu Bakr, when he took over the Khilafah, the situation changed. A large quantity of people apostated. We're talking about 100,000 people apostated. And said to Abu Bakr, Islam is over now. Nabi Muhammad died, that's it. We don't have to pay, we don't have to pay zakat. Zakat is paid to the Prophet. Because they said, I in the Quran says, Take from their wealth. Meaning only Nabi Muhammad was being spoken to here. Not you, Abu Bakr. How dare you think this eye is talking to you? And then Abu Bakr said his famous statement, which is, Wallahi, law iqalan. Wallahi, if they refuse to give me the iqal. The iqal, by the way, is the black thing that you see that's put on the head. By the way, this thing, origin, if you go back, it was actually used to tie the camel onto the tree. And then they put it on their head, and now it's become a style. It's called iqal. Abu Bakr said, if they don't give me their iqal that they used to give to the Prophet, if they refuse to give me, forget money and something big. That rope that they tie their camel onto the tree, if they refuse to give it to me, I will fight with them for it. Now, Abu Bakr has thousands of people apostated and they left Islam. Okay, brothers. The situation has changed. Umar came and he said, okay, take down Usama. Usama is a young man. Change it to someone else. The maslaha calls to Usama being changed. It's a young man. It's the biggest army at that time who's going to fight with the Romans. The world power of that time. I can't trust it with a 16-year-old. The whole entire Muslim army is in this man's hand. Abu Bakr showed that the, there's no such a thing as a maslaha when it comes to the Prophet's statement. He said, who put him in charge? Who put him in charge? Who gave him this position? Nabi Muhammad. That's the maslaha. That we follow what the Prophet said. And the thing that the Prophet commanded, Salawatullahi wasalamun alayhi. Are we all together, brothers? This was the time that Abu Bakr was showing the people the maslaha and the benefits on the khair is in the revelation, brothers. Huh? The Shaykh Rahimahullah spoke about here the following points. Write this down. He spoke about, number one, that we give precedence to bringing the good, sorry, give precedence to repelling the evil over bringing good, number one. That was point number one he spoke about. Huh? That Islam it came to repel the evil first and bring about good. That's point number one. He also spoke about point number two. If there's two good running beside one another, we will take the higher of the two good. I'm in a situation where I've got this situation and this situation. I'm going to take which of those two is the best. Okay? Two benefits are running beside one another. I will take the higher of the two. The third thing that the Shaykh Rahimullah spoke about is المفاسد, Two evil are running beside one another And I have to take one evil I can't I can't leave it There's one evil I have to take What is the example for that? An example for that is Me dying Or me drinking the alcohol Me dying is a greater mafsada Than me taking the alcohol So what do, that, what do I do? I take the lesser of the two are we all together, brothers? 
الشيخ منشن دوستري رحمه الله he didn't mention something else and that is yeah, let's not go into it it's a top, big topic uh, yeah, we don't have much time let's go ahead. carry on ومن قواعد الشريعة التسير في كل أمر نابه التعسير وليس واجب بلا اختدار ولا محرم مع التضار مع الطرار وكل محبور مع الضرورة بقدر ما تحتاجه الضرورة. The author now goes into um, the second type of the five major legal maxims. Write this down. The second, which is what? It is al-mashqatu tajribu taysir. When there comes hardship, Islam brings about ease. Are we all together, brothers? Are we all together, brothers? When hardship comes, what does the Sharia do? Hardship came. What does the religion do? It brings about ease. Ah. And the evidence for that is in the Ma'al Usri Isra. An example for this is a man wakes up, he's sick, he has a terrible flu, his fever's high, the weather's very cold, he needs to do wudu to pray. There's a mashaqqah in this. Hardship is burden. It could cause his life. What does he do? Ease comes here. Mashaqqa, it's hard on you. Tajribu taysir. Go and do wudu. Don't go and do tayammum. Tayammum. Don't shower, don't do wudu. Don't touch the water. Your fever is too high. It's going to probably increase your illness or even cause your life. Go and do tayammum. That's what Allah says in the ayah. Yuridu Allahu bikumul yusra wa la yuridu bikumul usra. And the Prophet said in the famous hadith, The religion is based upon ease and simplicity. There is not a person who overdoes it except that they, it will overcome them. Okay? And Allah said in another ayah, Are we all together, brothers? Like in brothers, an issue that I think is important, I bring to your attention, which is. <coughs> Um, the person who is traveling, why is it that he's not forced to fast in the month of Ramadan? Why is he allowed to not fast? Why is the Sharia permitted for him to break his fast? The one who is a traveler. What's the reason for it? Huh? Difficulty. Hey, yeah. Who believes difficulty? Put your hand up. Good. Scary now. Question, second question. Uh, yeah. What about if he has a private jet? Private jet. Rich man. He got a private jet. His house is five minutes walk five minutes from his private jet. He got he got a nice bed on his private jet. The minute he goes in there, he sleeps. He wakes up and he's told that he landed in his destination. Is he allowed to break his fast, yes or no? 
Put your hand up. No, no. Question is okay. Put your hand up if you believe you can break his fast. It's no hardship. Huh. You, you, believe, you believe he can break his fast. I want to I see those people who said, huh? it was because of hardship. This man has not gone through any hardship. And he's allowed to break his fast, is he not? Is he not? If you say hardship, which is scary, then that would mean anyone who finds hardship in fasting, he would have to break his fast. Like for example, the man who works in the furnace is making bread and he's burning in the fire. He can break his fast. The nine to five who's, who's carrying load in the month of Ramadan, he can break his fast. The person, uh, no, no, that's not there. That's not the reason. Okay? Huh? Yeah, so but why is the wisdom? Why is the why why is he in Allah? Yeah, so is it is it is it like that? Is it shaita abudi? We're just allowed to this is what it is? Or is there hikam and a wisdom behind it? The reason why I ask this question is because once you connect your reasoning of why a traveler can break his fast, that reason can be given to anyone else now. If that reason is there. The ruling you gave to this one should give, be given to this one. Sah? And the fact that you can't do that, you have to say. So the word mashaka is one of those long discussed issues in books. Scholars go into details. But here, this book is, um, is not our purpose to uh, go too much into it. وترجع الأحكام لليقين فلا يزيل شك فلا يزيل شك لليقين والأصل في مياهنا الطهارة والأرض والثياب والحجارة والأصل في الإبضاغ واللحوم والنفس والأموال للمعصوم تحريمها حتى يجيء الحل فافهم هداك الله ما يمل والأصل في عاد في عاد في عاداتنا الإباحة حتى يجيء صارف الإباحة وليس مشروعا من الأمور غير الذي في شعرنا في شعرنا مذكور. Now we're gonna go into another قاعدة from the five. Write this down. We're now on the third one, which is certainty cannot be removed with doubt. Certainty cannot be removed with doubt. I am sure about something. You can't remove that certainty of mine with doubt. That's a third qaida min qawaid al khamsat al kubra. It's from the five legal, the five major legal maxims that all of the scholars unanimously agree upon. What is that example for that? It means an example for that is ha three. The first one is the first one. The second one is Al Mashakatu Tedribu Taysir. And now it's Al Yakinu Al Yakinu La Yazul Bishak. Amal Masalih Al Mafasid is not from the five. Ah. We're on the third from the five legal maxims. Okay. Now listen to this, brothers. What does it mean? Certainty cannot be removed with doubt. This means that I am sure I made wudu. I did wudu. I came to the masjid. I sat there for two hours. And then I thought to myself, did I break my wudu or not? That's a doubt. The certainty is what? 
that I have wudu. There's doubt whether I broke it or not. This doubt cannot remove the certainty. I'm going to pray. Are we all together? The certainty of you knowing that you did wudu and you're sure you made wudu. But whether this wudu was removed or not, you can't take into consideration the doubt that's come. Are we all together, brothers? Does that, that make sense? A person made wudu for Salatul Fajr. He made wudu for Salatul Fajr. He sat in the masjid. He's sitting there, he's reading Quran. And then he stayed there for as long as Dhuhr. And then he said to himself, Did I pass wind or not? Dhuhr is about to come in. Did I pass wind or not? I am not sure. We will say, You're not sure, right? But you're certain you made wudu when you were praying Fajr. Yes. Let's stick to the certainty, get rid of the doubt. This certainty cannot be removed. Another example. A man is innocent by default. We all know every human being is free from accusation and allegation. Are we all together? The asal, the certainty of everybody is that they are free from allegations. True or false? This certainty, you can't remove it with doubt. I have to bring another certainty to remove this. Are we all together, brothers? It's where they say innocent until proven, guilty. Islam said this a long time ago. Another example is you and I are walking. Water is thrown from a high building. We're walking. Someone pours water on us and then they close the window. We look up, we don't know which window is. The floor, 20 floors. Each floor, nine or five or six houses. Are we going to knock on every door and say, ooh, splash water? What we say is the default position, the yaqeen is water aslan is tahir. Allah said that we sent water from the sky pure. We know that, that's certainty. This doubt whether this water is not or is or not, it's doubt. We don't give it any attention. We carry on. And we do what we're going to do. Are we all together, brothers? Yes or no? A man wakes up in the morning and he's sleeping next to a woman. He doesn't know who she is. And then he says, I have a doubt whether I got married to her or not. I don't know. I'm not sure. Shaykh, help me here. We say the default position is that the woman is haram from you until you prove it with certainty. The certainty is The asal of a woman is that she's haram from you until you bring a certainty to be married to her. Are we all together, brothers? This qa'idah of certainty and doubts is strong and it's powerful. Are we all together? A man is making takfir on another person. He's saying he's a kafir. Kafir. We will say this man, he's a Muslim to us and he's been a Muslim and we all know him to be a Muslim. This is certain. Why are you taking him out of Islam? He brings doubt by things so bright. The asal is that he's a Muslim. Doubt cannot remove it. I saw him enter the church and he was walking here. And none of that doesn't work. 
He's a Muslim and he remains as a Muslim. Are you with together, brothers? I mean, the reason I'm mentioning all of these examples is because this qa'idah enters many places. Are we all together? Where does it enter? Many different places. It's a very comprehensive qa'idah. So what we say is, it cannot be removed. Naam. The ship goes into something now very powerful, which is there's a brother. He has 10 dirhams in his pocket. Has it, what does he have? He has 10 dirhams in his pocket. Does he have to buy water with that 10 dirhams? Is there anyone going to tell him, you got 10 dirhams, you have to buy water? Yes or no? Does he have to buy water with that 10 dirhams? Is it a must? Okay. Salah entered. Salah time entered and he has no wudu. And he needs to do wudu. And there's no other way he can do wudu unless he uses that 10 dirhams to buy water. Does he now have to buy water? Why did you make the water obligatory on him now? Because of the objective that you want to reach, which is the salah. The Sheikh is now saying to you that the means takes the ruling of its objective. The means, it becomes obligatory if the objective is obligatory. Praying Dhuri is it obligatory. Yeah? Is the me is the is dhuhr obligatory? Ha. Huh? Then the buying of the water now becomes obligatory. Does that make sense? So the Sheikh is saying, Wasailu al-umur kalmaqasidi. The means become whatever its objectives are. Like in this satanic principle, satanic principle, that people say the goals justify the means, that's satanic. That's satanic. That's not our Islamic principle. That I'm just going to look at the raya, the objective, and the means becomes permissible based on what? No, that's not the case. But what we believe is, if a wajib cannot be done without this, which is what the scholars call, مَا لَا يَتِيمُ الْوَاجِبُ إِلَّا بِهِ فَوَاجِبٌ I can't do salah unless I do, I buy that water. To do wudu, it becomes obligatory. Are we all together? What does it become? It becomes obligatory. Is walking obligatory? Is walking obligatory? Salah time came in. And the adhan of the masjid is being pro pro proclaimed. What does it now become? You're going to say walking is obligatory now. Because the jama'ah in the masjid for the man is what? It's obligatory. What about if he says, I can hear the adhan, but I can't walk. So, okay, you have a car. It becomes obligatory for you to drive. If we all agree that it's obligatory to pray in the masjid. Now, somebody might say, okay. Is the obligation only based on the means to get there? What about the means to get away from there? Sir? 
So somebody go up, Salah came in, what do we say? Go up, walk to the masjid. He says, but walking is not wajib. We say, naam, walking is not wajib. But now the jama'ah is wajib, so the walking becomes obligatory because it's a means for an objective. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Ha. Then the Sheikh said, Wahkum And he said, the same ruling is when it comes to having to come back from the masjid. Coming back from the masjid also becomes what? Obligatory, saying the Sheikh is saying this. And an evidence that he's trying to use, and it's a disputed argument, which is um, Allah says, Ya amanu idha nudiya so Allah says, if you hear the call of prayer, go to the masjid. Okay, um, that was the means to get there. And then what about coming back? Allah then says, when the salah finished, go, 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 leave, leave. You can't stay. It's obligatory also to leave. But that's not correct. And the Shaykh here is not right in saying this. Are we all together, brothers? But we don't want to go into why he's wrong. Um, نعم. ومن مسائل الأحكام في التبع يثبت يثبت لا إذا إذا استقل فوقع. The author uh, بهذا uh, الحكم لزوائدي. والخطأ والإكراه والنسيان. أسقطه معبودنا الرحمن لكن مع مع الالتلاف يثبت البدل. The author now goes into Awaridul Ahliya, what they call in Usul al Fiqh. By the way, this is not a mas- this one here is not a mas'ala, it's not an issue to do with Qawaid al Fiqhiyah, it's an issue of Usul al Fiqh. But, anyways, the Sheikh's book it has Qawaid al Fiqhiyah and Qawaid al Usuliyah in there. And what is the difference? We'll mention that, inshallah, in Al Waraqat. Anyways, Three times the pen is lifted from the person. How many times? Three times the pen is lifted from the person. What are the three times when the pen is lifted from the person? If a person does something from mistake, khata. Based on the hadith, Inna Allah tajawaza an ummati al khata wa nisyan wa mastukrihaari. Khata means by accident. No one's going to hold you account. Ah. You did something by accident. Unintentionally. No one's going to hold you account for it. The second one is an-nisyan. You forgot something. You forgot dhuhr at all. It slipped your mind. And you've remembered Isha time. Allah, I didn't pray dhuhr. No problem. Pray now. You're, no one's going to hold you account for it. The third one is al-ikrah. You went under coercion. You, someone coerced you into doing this. They put a gun to your head. You said, do it. By the way, the ikrah... It has conditions. From the conditions is the person who's saying it to you has a higher authority than you. You're both friends. It's, that's one. That which he's coercing you in his promise, I'm going to kill you. But he's got a pencil in his hand. And I'm going to kill you. You can't be, I was coerced. Third one is, he says to you, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. Or next week, watch. And you're like, I was under duress. It isn't. It has to be or something that's going to happen that moment. Because now you can escape from him and run away. Are we all together, brothers? 
Anyways, the scholars, they mentioned condition for ikrah. When can a person become mukrah? He's coerced. There are conditions, okay, by the way. Three times, you're excused. If you do something by mistake, if you do something out of forgetfulness, or if you do it because you were coerced in doing it. Now, pay attention. The coercion is not unrestricted. Ayay, pay attention to this. If someone coerces you in killing someone else, you can't say, I killed this person because I was coerced in killing this person. Your life is not more valuable than this person's life. Are we all together? Or someone coerced you in raping a woman, you're not allowed to. That coercion is not accepted. You have to take the bullet, brother. Huh? So ikra is not unrestricted, by the way. Another point that we need to remember is these three is excused by Allah. Allah won't hold, you won't get a sin written for you by the angels. The angels won't write a sin for you. If you do a mistake, if you forget something, and if you do it out of coercion, but it doesn't uplift from you the obligation of repaying it back. You were driving and you had an accident and you killed a family member. You can't be like, Wallah, it was khata. It was so what about the blood of these people you killed? Blood money has to be paid. So there is Baman. There is what? Baman. You have to guarantee, you have to wealth, money. Are we all together, brothers? Ha. And so the scholars, they have discussion of what determines whether it was an accident or not. Ha. Do we base it on what we can see? Huh? Or is it intention? And then there's discussions about all of that. So our religion, it doesn't um, hold you account for those three situations. Those three situations, it's uplifted from you. Hey. ومن مسائل الأحكام في التبع يثبت لا إذا استقل وفوقع. Here we're going to an issue called يثبت تبع ما لا يثبت استقلالا. There are some issues. They don't have a ruling independently. Their ruling is connected to something else. What is it connected to? It's connected to something else. يَثْبُتُ تَبَعًا مَا لَا يَثْبُتُ اسْتِقْلَالًا There are some things that are not permissible by itself, but they are permissible when they are connected to something else. It has a ruling of permissibility when it's connected to something. And for an example that the scholars mention is, can you say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on a companion? They say no. If you're doing it for the sahabi by himself, no. But if you're doing it for the sahabi and the prophet, it's permissible. Does that make sense? The hukum of permissibility here is connected to taba'a. 
It's not individually. It's not allowed. Now. والعرف معمول به إذا ورد حكم من الشرع من الشرع الشريف لم يحد. Now we have another قاعدة which is from the five قواعد which is العرف معمول به. How much we have now? Huh? Four. Write this one. This one down. Which is العرف محكم. You're married to a woman, and you want to treat your wife with utmost respect and take care of her. How much do you have to give to her and provide for her in order to know that you're fulfilling her obligation? How much is it? Is it $200? Huh? In Africa, maybe yeah, $300, good job. $500, very, very good. Uh, some places in Africa. Like when you come to the UAE or you go to the UK and things like that, you're talking about large number of money, صح? So what determines taking care of your spouse and fulfilling their financial rights is an issue that goes to the custom of that land. When Allah said in the ayah, وَعَاشِرُوهُنَّ Live with them بِالْمَعْرُوفِ in good. Allah didn't tell you $200 or 3,000 dirhams. He didn't. He left it for the custom of the people. So this qa'ida is we go back to customs in issues that the Sharia didn't restrict and didn't give it a figure. Are we all together? This issue doesn't have it doesn't have a Shari definition. Uh, one of the things I put under this is traveling. Traveling, musafir, connecting a musafir to a destination is wrong. It's wrong. This much miles, you're a musafir. And if it's less than this much miles, you're not a musafir. This is not sahih. Why? There's no deal for that. The issue of what is musafir is the people here. You ask the people. Do you guys consider up to Ajman musafir? The people say, la, we don't. But it's another place. It's, nothing, it's outside Dubai. It's outside Shariqa. It's, huh? But they say, no, we don't consider it. For us, it's all the same. What about Abu Dhabi? Yes, we do. You're a musafir when you go to Abu Dhabi and you're not a musafir when you go to Ajman. Are we all together, brothers? The issue of what determines as being a musafir or not goes back to the custom, urf of the people, the people's custom. For example, in the UK, I live in West London, for instance, which I do. I live in West London. West London, there's to go to High Wycombe, which is outside of London, we consider in the UK as to be a traveler. And to be honest, I live on the edge of West London. So when I go there, it takes me 20 minutes, 25 minutes, maximum half an hour I can get there. From West London to East London, that is what? One hour, 20 minutes. That's how long it will take me. One hour, 15 minutes traffic going through North London. Which one is longer for me? Which one do I go through? More tiredness, everything. West London. Uh, sorry, sorry, East London. From Easter. But going to High Wycombe is what? It's easy for me. Like in the people consider this one to be traveling and they don't consider this one to be traveling. We will go back to the custom of the people when the Sharia doesn't place a definition for something. And there are many things like that. Like for example, honoring your guest. Hey, what does it mean honoring a guest? 
Yeah? What do the Sharia just had said to you? لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى لا يؤمن أحد من كان يؤمن بالله واليوم الآخر فليكرم ضيفه. The one who believes in Allah. And the day of judgment, honor your guest. Hey, how do I honor my guest? Well, he's sitting in front of me. How do I honor it? And you look at the people and the custom of that land. Sahih. How do they, what do they consider as honoring a guest? They consider honoring a guest, giving him a bed, giving him uh, food, giving him nights to stay with you, sitting with him and talking to him and making him feel happy. Wahakada. The Sharia didn't give a definition and a, and a guideline for this. We go back to the what? The urf of the people. Being good to your neighbor. Well, how do you become good to your neighbor? Did the Sharia say, go give him meal, food? Nothing. So it didn't tell you to do this. It goes back to the custom of the people. Are we all together? It goes back to the way that the people define these things. Be obedient to your mom. Hey, what does it mean, be obedient to your mom? Did the Sharia tell you how to be obedient to your mom? It goes back to the custom of the people. The people say to you, you're aq. You are disobedient to your parents. You can't say, well, you have no evidence from the Quran or the Sunnah. Now, the custom of the people determines if you're obedient or not. Are we all together, brothers? For example, the Salaf, they considered disobedient of the parents at their time that if you ate with your mother or father and you took a meat that he wanted to take and he didn't know, they considered that to be uququl walidain. Walk in front of your parents, walk in front of your dad or your mother, they considered that to be uququl walidain. Are we all together, brothers? So what is uquq and what isn't uquq? Some countries, they consider it to be aq if you look at your parents. Sahih? You can't look at them like that. You just put your head down and listen. Sahih? Am I making sense? But in the UK, you go, Dad, what are you talking about, man? You know? Stop saying this stuff, man. Because <laughs> we're probably... <laughs> so the uquq and what's good and what isn't good and all of that is all determined by the custom of the people. The peoples. The people tell us. Now. The Sheikh now goes into a powerful qaida which is There's a boy, his father's rich, got a lot of money. He sees, Allahumma barik, there's going to be a lot of inheritance here. What I'm going to get here looks good. So one day, he goes to his dad's bedroom and he takes a pillow and suffocates the father. So the father dies. He comes and he says, ah, I want my inheritance. You are not going to get the inheritance. You hasten something that was going to come to you. If you try to bring it fast, you will be prohibited from it. That's the qaida. Anyone who hastens something before its timing will be prevented from it. You're not allowed. Does that make sense? Another example is if a person puts himself forward and makes himself a reference point in the religion before he even becomes ready Islamically he will be prevented from gaining true knowledge are we all together brothers it's a qaida now if you hasten something before it's time you truly won't get it you'll be prevented from it even if a boy saw his father kill someone saw his father killing and he is and he did his father did kill shot someone but his father's a rich man. And he goes and he witnesses against his father. Because yeah, I saw him. Me and ten men saw him. Or nine people, or eight. We all saw him shooting the guy. And he hit him on the forehead. 
I have all these reliable witnesses. And the father, really, my father did do it. He won't inherit him. Are we all together? According to the Hanafis, they believe they won't inherit. Does that make sense? Other fuqaha, they believe, no, he has to, and he will inherit. There's a lot of statements regarding that. Naam. وَإِنْ أَتَى التَّحْرِيمُ فِي نَفْسِ الْعَمَلِ أَوْ شَرْطِهِ فَذُو فَسَادٍ وَخَلَلٍ The Shaykh, rahimahullah, here he goes into um, prohibition. The prohibition, write this down, it happens in two ways. The prohibition. Huh? The prohibition, it happens in what? It happens in two ways. The first one is the prohibition goes back to this thing itself this thing itself is prohibited like lying for example and oppressing in and within itself is prohibited and something it's not prohibited in and within itself but it's prohibited because of an external reason like buying and selling when the khutbatul jum'ah is going on no, buying and selling is not haram. In and within itself, no, no, no. But it's an external thing now. The timing here is haram. Are we all together? Yarhamukallah. That's the type of prohibitions. Something that's haram in and within itself. And something that is haram in what? Because of a what? External reason. External reason. Some things that are prohibited, brothers, and this is a very beneficial thing, and I think it will help you guys understand. Some people, this is a very good benefit, inshallah. Anything that is haram in and within itself, it will only be permissible when there's a necessity. Life and death situation. Barura can allow it. Write this down. It's important that you write this down. If something is muharramun lidati in and within itself is haram, it becomes permissible in that barura when there's a barura a necessity. Does that make sense? Second one is something that's haram not in and within itself. But because of what it's going to lead to, or external reasons, huh? Because of what? External reasons. It's not haram in and within itself, but the haram here is external reasons. Maybe it's going to lead to something bad. Okay. This thing, it doesn't have to reach darura for you to be permissible. It can be permissible in the haja, in the matter. It can be permissible when there's just a, a need, not a necessity, just a need. An example for that is what? Looking at a woman is not haram in and within itself. Are we all together, brothers? It's haram because of what it's going to lead, which is zina. That same woman that you are not allowed to look at, if it's going to lead to marriage, you're allowed to look at her. Are we all together, brothers? 
Now let me mention an example that a lot of you guys can relate to, which is insurance. You all know insurance, right? Yeah? Insurance. Ins insurances that are used are divided into two. Insurances that have in them interest, riba. I'm not talking about that one. That one's haram in and within itself. Get rid of that. There are some types of insurance that are not riba. They are what we the fuqaha call bay'ul gharar. It's a gamar, gambling. It would go under gambling. Are we all together? Gambling, I'm a bay'ul gharari. The, bar, the, the transaction that's based upon ambiguity is not haram in and within itself. Are we all together, brothers? Bay'ul gharari. I'm a bay'ul jahala. The buying or selling of something you don't know is not haram in and within itself. It's haramun because of what it could lead to. It could lead to something harmful in there. If there's a hajah for it, it can be made permissible. It doesn't have to reach the Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Why am I saying that? The reason I'm saying that is because a lot of people say that is it darura to drive cars with insurance? I say there doesn't have to be a darura. Hajja alone can allow it. How can it allow it? If you take a type of insurance that doesn't have riba in it and you take one that's got qimar in it. Are we all together brothers? A type that has qimar in it or has bay'ul gharari. I'm going to say to you, Yajuzu in al Haja, if there's a need for it. The government imposes on the people. Uh, because if we say that is darura, one of the conditions darura is that there is no alternative, and there are alternatives. You can't drink khamar when there's fanta there. You're dying and you're like, oh, I'm going to drink khamar because it's a necessity. There's fanta, drink fanta. Or drink the water here, sah? So we're saying it's not even a darura, it's a haja, why you're allowed to drive that car which has in it bay'ul gharari. And the haja, there can be alternatives if there wants. And I'll explain this inshallah ta'ala on an ongoing series that I'm doing called Islamic Finances. And I'm doing a series, I'm going to go into this in great details, I'm going to break down the types of insurance, corp corporative insurance and whatnot, and each one how it seems like, and we'll break it down inshallah. And the researches that I've done, calling insurance companies and asking them to explain it to me how their insurances work. But anyways, this chapter, the Sheikh is talking about the two types of haram. Something that's haram in and within itself and something that's haram because of an external, because of an external uh, thing. Naam. ومتلف مؤذيه ليس يضمن بعد الدفاع بالتي هي أحسن. Someone kills an, a, a horse or he kills a camel two situations the first person is a person who stabbed a camel or killed a camel because the camel was running at him and he shot the camel and another person he killed an, a, a camel because he was hungry both these men they did it for their life do you all understand the first one the camel was running at him and he shot it because the camel is going to kill him. He's scared that it's going to kill him. Are we all together, brothers? And the second situation is he got hungry and he went to the camel and he 
He ate it. By the way, it's allowed for him to do that because he, he believed he was going to die. Which of those two, Amma, do both of them have to repay back? Do both of them have to pay back what they killed? Or none of them have to? How does it work, brothers? Huh? Hey, what is it? The one who the animal charged at him and he defended himself, he doesn't have to pay anything. Ah, there's no daman on him. He defended himself. The person who owned this forsake this is their problem. Like in the one who went into a, a herd of sheep or herd of cows or herd of uh, an amount of camels and sliced one, ate it. And he, he eats it, no problem. Enjoy your time, eat it, finish it, but give back the money for it. Have to pay. Okay? Now. What? But like in, I need to say something. Even though you're defending yourself, the Sheikh said there's no daman on you. The Sheikh said a very good point at the ending, which is, a man comes into your house and he's a robbery comes into your house you kill him there's nothing you have to pay back because you're defending yourself it falls under this as well but he came into the house with nothing in his hand and you took a bazooka and you blew him off pay attention here he's got nothing he just came into the window he just wants to snatch a mobile phone or he just wants to snatch something from the table and he wants to run out and you take a gun and you shoot him and even after he dies you carry, shoot, carry on shooting him you have to pay back are we all together brothers because that person all that you needed to do was to take a stick and hit him on the hand and he would run away or if you just say ah, I can see you he'll run away he's scared already that's why the sheikh is saying you have to do everything with ihsan so you have to use the bare minimum force to get rid of that person and that's what the scholars they say it is permissible to defend yourself from someone who is transgressing on you. You can just bare minimum. The bare minimum that is needed. That's what the scholars are. The scholars mentioned. Now. And if he then takes it higher, he comes with a gun, and then you kill him, then it's the force. You choose um, the required. The required. Now. وَأَلْ تُفِيدُ الْكُلَّ فِي الْعُمُومِ فِي الْجَمْعِ وَالْإِفْرَادِ كَالْعَلِيمِ وَالنَّكِرَاتِ فِي سِيَاقِ النَّفِي تُعْطِي الْعُمُومَ أَوْ سِيَاقِ النَّهِي كَذَاكَ مَنْ وَمَا تُفِيدَانِ مَعَا كُلَّ الْعُمُومِ يَا أَخِي يَا أُخَيَّ فَاسْمَعَا وَمِثْلُهُ الْمُفْرَدُ إِذَا إِذْ يُضَافُ the author now goes into a chapter known as Dalalatul Alfaq. Again, this is not an issue of Usulul Fiqh. Sorry, Qawaid al Fiqh. It's Usul Fiqh issue. Dalalatul Alfaq means in the Arabic language there are words that show generalization. When you use those words, generality. Now it becomes general. Allah says, Wal Asri, Inna al insan al fiqhusin. Al insan. Al insan here is what? Men only? Huh? Women only? What is it? Who is it? Huh? It's all of mankind. 
And where did you get the word all from? Who told you it's all? Eh? You have to know how to use the Quran and, and, and benefit from it. You're going to say that al here is generalization. Are we all together, brothers? This al benefits us generality. It means all of mankind are all in misguidance. That's what the Sheikh is. Well, Whether the word is a plural word or a singular word, it doesn't matter. It shows generalization. Okay? It shows what? It shows generalization. Two things he added onto it. So the first one was Al shows generalization. Second one is the, an indefinite in the context of a negation or an indefinite in the context of a prohibition. It shows generalization. What does it show? It shows generalization. And an example for that is um, You're being prohibited. You're being told, do not take. Some of you should not take another group of you guys, Arbaban lords besides Allah, whatsoever. How do we know that? It's because we have the prohibition at the beginning and we have the indefinite in the Czech context. So in the Arabic language, if you see an indefinite, indefinite, you all know what an indefinite is, right? In English language. An indefinite is like a apple, an apple. A definite is the apple. Are we all together? A and an are indefinite articles. If you have an indefinite but the context that it's in is a negation. Something's been negated. It shows generalization. Or if an indefinite is in the context of a prohibition, it shows generalization. Generality. Also, what shows generalization is the word man and ma. Where you see man and ma, generalization. That's what they show. Also, what shows generalization is a singular that's been ascribed. Ni'matallahi. Ni'ma is singular. Allah is being attributed to Allah. It means all of the blessings of Allah. It's not only one. Shows generalization. And by the way, brothers, it's very important to study Dalalatul Al-Fad. These terms that are general and those which are specific. Because you will know, does this apply to all of us? Or this is specific to this? And that's the biggest chapter in Usul Al-Fiqh. And I'm not going to go too much details because we're going to come to it in what? Al-Waraqat. Naam. Okay. This ruling will not be established on something until all of the conditions are present and all of the preventative factors are removed. Are we all together? Pay attention to this. You can't place a ruling on something unless all of the shurut is found all of the mawani are missing. For example, a brother has money. He goes, okay, I have money. I have a lot of money. I want to pay zakat from it. You say, okay, let me go through it with you. Three things I'm going to ask you now. First one is conditions. The condition is that your wealth, a yearly cycle goes by. Okay. Yeah, it has. Second point. Good. Second condition is 
um, it reached the amount which is the sabab. He says, yeah, it has. Then you say the preventative factor is that there's no debt on you. And he goes to you, yeah, there's no debt on me. He says, okay, pay the zakat. You see what I did? The ruling of it being obligatory for him to pay the zakat, I had to go through shurut and the mawani'ah. That's everything, by the way. You can't place a ruling on something unless the conditions are found and the preventative factors are missing. Are you there, brothers? A person lives in the Amazon forest. He's never heard about Islam. Can you say he's a disbeliever? The ulama, they say, la. Because there's a preventative factor here, which is what? Al-jahlu. And Allah said in the Quran, وَمَا كُنَّا مُعَذِّبِينَ حَتَّى We are not ones to punish them unless we send to them a what? A messenger. There's a preventative factor of this ruling of you saying he's a disbeliever. He's ignorant. He doesn't know. Ah, so we don't say that. And there's many other things like that. Naam. وَمَنْ أَتَى بِمَا عَلَيْهِمَا مِنْ عَمَلٍ قَدْ اسْتَحَقَّ مَا لَهُ عَلَى الْعَمَلِ Anyone does an action. He does, it, he does it in the way that the Sharia told him to do it. He gets his reward for it. He will get his reward. Naam. وَيَفْعَلُ الْبَعْضُ مِنَ الْمَأْمُورِ now the shaykh goes into something very important which is in the ibadat that we do are two types write this down the ibadat that we do are two types the ibadat that we do are two types that accepts dividing it Meaning you, you can do heart part and not the other part. For example, Allah Ta'ala said to, sorry, the Prophet said to Imran ibn Husaynin, Salli qa'iman, pray standing up. You can't. You can't stand up. Then sit down. Then lie down. This ibadah, which is salah, accepts, if there's no ability, what does it accept? It accepts different ways of fulfilling it. This is a ibadah yaqbalu tajzi'ah. It will accept dividing it. You'll understand what I mean by when I give the other example. So, brother, you can't stand up, huh? Yeah, I can't stand up. Wallahi, my back is hurting me. I can't pray standing up. No problem. We're not going to say to you, don't pray. You're going to pray, brother. Sit down. Wallahi, I can't sit down. It's going to be a problem on my back. Okay, lie down. He goes, okay. He lies down. This ibadah accepted what? Another brother comes up to me and says, brother, I'm, I'm an ill person. Hey, um, I'm ill and I take medication in the morning. What time do you take the medication? After Fajr, I have to take it. I have to have breakfast and I have to take a medication. This medication is uh, Ill, uh, a very serious illness that I suffer from. Okay. Okay. From Dhuhr, your fasting starts. Can you say that? Brother goes, right after breakfast... And I take my medication, I can fast. That's the only thing that I couldn't, that's the time I couldn't do it. You know, fasting, you either can do it or can't do it. If you can do it, come with it. If you can't, it's fully uplifted from you. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Some ibadat, if you don't have the ability, you don't have to come with it at all. And some ibadat, if you don't have the ability, you come with part of it and you don't have to come with the other part. That's what the author is talking about. وَيَفْعَلُ الْبَعْضُ مِنَ الْمَأْمُورِ He does the part that he can do. Which is what? A brother can't stand up in the salah. 
But what can he do? He could do the ruku'. He does the ruku'. He leaves off the standing. He does what he can and he leaves off what he can't. Like in the fasting, you either can fast from this time to this time or you can't fast. The Iuth now goes into another issue which is Mas'alatu Al-Dhamanu Fil Ma'dhuni Bihi Someone gave you their car and they gave you permission to drive their car Habibi, this is my car, drive it I have, I'm an expert, I know how to drive I've got a license, okay, I drove The car broke down or something happened to the car the tire just fell off do I have to am I, is it upon me to have to do it for him no I don't have to do anything for him with two conditions write this down the person who gave you the permission owns the thing they gave you permission for that's first condition another brother goes to you I know him just take it, just take it, don't worry. I'll speak to him later for you. You can take it. And you go and you drive it. Boof, the tire comes off or something happens to the car. And you go, but brother, and you, this, you told me that... No, no, you have to pay back. You drove what wasn't yours. The first condition is that the owner of this particular vehicle allowed you to drive it, number one. The second condition is... You have the required conditions to drive this car. You've got the license... You have the insurance. You also have the uh, ability to drive. You didn't buy your license from Amazon or eBay. Yeah? You actually are a person who can drive. If those two conditions are present, then there is no demand on you. You don't have to do anything for this that happened to the car. Um, naam. So this is what it means. I don't remember it. But it could be a possibility that one of the conditions were missing. Or he realized that the person was driving it or using it, did something. Like for example, if you went and you drove that car and you were in a state where you couldn't drive. For example, you take medications and those medications make you doze daisy. And, it makes, and you drove it at that time, then you lose the ahliyat tasarruf. You wasn't fit to drive the car. What comes from it is now your problem. Okay, because that period of time you knew that you couldn't drive. Hey, Fadl. But I don't know the narration of Ramadan. I don't know it. Now we're going, now we're going to go into an issue called um, and we're going to stop at this one, inshallah ta'ala. And that is something is halal and haram based on its reasoning. For example, we know alcohol is haram. Why is alcohol haram? Nabi Muhammad, the illah here is mansus. By the way, brothers, 
Write this down, it's very beneficial. Write this down, it's very beneficial. The first thing is, the reason why things are prohibited in the religion, it, we find it out in two ways. Why something's haram. There are two ways to find out why something's haram. Because we believe as Ahlul Sunnah, every action of Allah has a wisdom behind it. Sah? Has wisdom. Allah's actions all have wisdom. So he didn't just legislate something with no wisdom. No, it's not. He did it. So the wisdom here is the illah. Okay? The reasoning. Some things in the religion, we know why they are prohibited. Like alcohol. The messenger textually, clearly and categorically told us that alcohol is haram because it intoxicates the mind. Does that make sense? This is called illah mansusah. A stated reasoning of why alcohol is haram. If we find anything that shares alcohol with this ruling, which is intoxication, it's haram. Because the ruling revolves around its reasoning. The second type of way that we learn whether how something is haram is through istimbat. The first one is mansus. It's stated, it's mentioned by Allah and His Messenger. The second one is istimbat. The scholars will go and they will look at why something was made haram. Are we all together? Yeah. And a lot of the times the scholars, they bring different reasonings. This is a mas'ala called tanqihul manat. It's a long discussion. I'll give you an example. A man came to the Prophet, he said, Ya Rasulullah, halaktu wa ahlaktu. I, am destro I destroyed myself and I destroyed my family. I had intimate relationship with my wife in the month of Ramadan, daytime. The Prophet said to him, Kafara. Here the question is, why and what's the reasoning for the Kafara? Is it that he had intimate relationship with his wife in the month of Ramadan? Or is the reasoning he was a Bedouin man? Or is the reasoning he was. Uh, that he had intimate relationship with his wife specifically. What about if you have intimate relationship with a woman that's not your wife? Is that different? The scholars, they argued of the reason. I will tell the brothers. Which is, why is pork haram? We know what alcohol is haram. Why is pork haram? The scholars, they mention things. They throw things out there. Why is haram? That which seems apparent is we don't know why pork is haram. We know it's haram. There's no shay which is ta'abudi. We have to worship Allah on this. Like in, if someone says to you it's because there's germs in it, then what they can do is they can take the pork to the, uh, the lab and they take all the germs out and they say to you, eat it now. We've sorted it all out for you, sir. Are you going to eat it now? And say, yep, yeah, thank you. It was the germs and the germs are now gone. Because if that was your reasoning, if the reason goes, the ruling should go with it. The reasoning revolves around the hukum, re sorry, the ruling revolves around the reason. If the reason goes, the hukum goes. And if the reason is found, the hukum is also found. Does that make sense? That's what this qa'ida means. And we'll stop here, inshallah. And tomorrow we'll finish off the little lines that are left for us. And we'll do the uh, other books, in, the other kitab. Uh, tomorrow we're going to do the kitab, Sharh al-Sunnah al-Imam al-Muzani rahimahullah. And the Muqaddimat fi usul al-Tafsir, we might start it as well.
inshallah ta'ala uh, anything that i said that was wrong or incorrect is from me shaytan and allah and his messenger are free from it subhanakallahumma bihamdik ashhadu an la ilaha illallah astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk